This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance. To say that health is better than sickness, that strength is better than weakness, that courage is better than fear, that intelligence is better than stupidity, that competence is better than bumbling, that beauty is better than ugliness, that enterprise is better than laziness, that fortitude is better than fragility, that emotional control is better than unhinged hysteria, that plenty is preferable to scarcity, that self-determination is better than servility, that order is better than chaos. None of this is new and all of this is true. In fact, we could say without fear of error that men have held these truths to be self-evident since the beginning of time. Hello, my name is Will Spencer and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. I'm going to pose a paradox to you that might make you uncomfortable. But know that before I do, my personal belief is that the closer we get to paradox, the closer we get to God, whatever we consider that to be. So here it is. The worst things in our lives often turn out to be the doorways through which the best things enter. Our modern world doesn't want to accept that. It's easier for many to earn social validation points for celebrating their tragedies without moving through them. After all, if you get attention for highlighting your losses, you subtly disincentivize yourself to win. Over time, this has a corrosive effect on the soul, which I believe has a natural instinct to rise, but you have to want it, and then let it. And if you've built your identity on top of those losses, you've made your own journey twice as difficult. But then there are those other men and women who make a different choice, the ones who choose to rise, ascend, and transform whatever the cost. The ones who resist the tempting allure of social validation and instead pursue truth, both the personal truths of their inner reality and the higher truths of redemption. Such men are rare, but you know them when you see them. There's a weight to them, a solidity, a voice, or as my guest this week says, they're heavy as fuck. His name is Bronson Lee Norton. He's a musician, podcaster, bow hunter and bodybuilder, and in 2015, he heard a woman's cries for help coming from a nearby house he happened to be walking past on a route he didn't usually take. And like a real capital M man, he went charging in through that door and changed three lives, including his own. In our conversation, we discussed that story and the notoriety he earned, what he did with it, and what he didn't do. The importance of doing things that make you like yourself the uniqueness of this era of men, and how we each get the chance to learn from the best fathers around the world when our fathers only had their own. What's missing from modern music, and how many bands, including his, are exploring the boundaries between sound and world building. And finally, our perspectives on Jack Donovan's aesthetic and philosophical universe, and the impact that it has on the renaissance of men. 
all these topics I've listed are truly just scratching the surface in what might be my favorite conversation of all the ones I've had so far. I think you'll hear it as two men get to know each other, discover their shared philosophy around self-creation, and thereby build a connection. I think you'd agree that there's a lot of things wrong with our world today, but the ability for two men from different backgrounds to connect over the internet and realize they have more in common than their differences certainly isn't one of them. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, the host of Barbaric Wisdom, Bronson Lee Norton. Bronson, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, thanks, Will. I appreciate you inviting me on, and I'm, uh, I've been looking forward to this all week, so I'm glad we got to put some, uh, some, some time aside to do this finally. We've been chatting on Instagram, and uh, yeah, just excited to be here. That's awesome. Well, I just want to take a minute to acknowledge you know, some, some crazy synchronicities that have been going on. Like, I guess I messaged you when you were listening to my podcast with Jack Donovan, and then, yes. and then you messaged me when I was listening to your podcast with Jack Donovan at the same second that like my, my name came up in that podcast. So I just think that's, that's one of those <laughs> things that needs to be noted right now. Yeah. Yeah. Paths, paths crossing. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's interesting. Yeah, it was super funny. Cause, um, when we were chatting, uh, last time, yeah, I was literally preparing to do an interview with Jack and that's why I was listening to your podcast. Um, cause I wanted to get a little bit more insight into the types of questions that people were asking him in regards mm. to his new book, fire in the dark men and gods. And, um, and yeah, by the way, like you just absolutely killed it on that podcast. I think that's oh, one of the best you. interviews that I've heard him do. Um, mm. and so it's r- really funny. Yeah. We, we started chatting as I was listening to your voice in my headphones. So it's super funny. And then today I was listening to, to get a sense of you. I was listening to, to your podcast with him. <laughs> and so I'm listening through and you had mentioned that there was a mention of me somewhere in there. And so I was just listening through while I was working on some other stuff. And then I was sending you some messages. And then as I, as I messaged you, that was in when either you or him kind of mentioned my name. I was like, oh my God, just as I meant it. It's like, this, it's like the mirroring <laughs> of the whole thing is absolutely wild. And it's completely par for the course these days though. Like that just seems to be happening a lot. These crazy synchronicities. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't seem like, like mere coincidence and, um, that we're kind of, we're, uh, discovering each other in a very similar field that we're both kind of pursuing as far as the message that we want to get out there to other people and things like that. So, yeah, well, and we have some similar backgrounds. Like I worked in the music industry in San Francisco for a while. I was never in a band. I was more in the DJ world, but I worked in a pro music studio. And so now carrying all, all that, right. yeah, it was really, really cool. I learned, I learned a ton, you know, running pro tools and logic and reason and Ableton and all those things. So I can run all those programs. And so when I come into podcasting, it was really easy. Like, oh, I know how to make this sound good. That's amazing. <laughs> and so now obviously you bring your music experience into, into podcasting as well. Yeah. It's, uh, the same sort of thing. Like I, I had played around with a little bit of, um, like digital recording and things like that, just in kind of earlier, um, stages of my music career kind of thing when I was just wanting to put records out. And so I needed to learn the technology and wanted to experiment with that for demoing and things like that. And so, like you said, that really crossed over. Um, but the video has been a challenge for me. So sometimes I'm envious of guys like you who have the audio, cause I find the video particularly tedious to, to put together, but the, the audio just comes naturally. I already had the experience like you. So mm. 
that's why I don't really deal with video. Like I've already got so much running right now that the putting on a video podcast and doing it to my standards is just like, there's no, just no way I'm going to have enough time to, to do that. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I'm just going to have to buy, even though that seems to be, I mean, it would be really easy to just sign up for StreamYard or something like that. And just, it just pushes it right to YouTube right yeah. away. And I don't know, something in me just wants to do more cool stuff with it, like cuts and stuff like that. But, you know, usually mm-hmm. when you see people doing that, I mean, I don't know, I, I haven't done it, but I feel like when you see people doing that on YouTube, they have some assistant, you know, who, who does mm-hmm. the actual edits for them. Like John Sonmez is a great, he was on my podcast and his videos are nice, but there's no way he's sitting there all day doing those edits. Like there's no way. <laughs> you know, he's sending no, them it's, off. it's so time consuming. And like, I've started to do a little bit of outsourcing because I'm very lucky in that. I have, um, I have a lot of just really creative friends. A lot of them have been met through the music scene. Like I've, it seems that musicians are just very multifaceted and creative people in general. So a lot of my musician friends either do the photography for my bands or they shoot the music video for my bands. Or now a lot of them are doing some of the the edits for my video just because I don't have time to do it. And eventually, I'd like probably outsource the audio as well because I'd really like to put out more episodes and just save myself um, the time and energy for actually putting together interviews because that's a lot of work too. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's been it's been fun getting the opportunity to network and, and talk to new people and just have a reason to have the conversation with people from, you know, all over North America and all over the world. It's just, it's an awesome way to connect and and uh, network that way. Yeah, we're living in a pretty much golden age of conversation is I think what I've called it because I talked to Danny Miranda and uh, he was on my podcast, I think last week and he has his own podcast. And the reason why we connected is that I just made this, jo- I've been making this joke on on Twitter saying that if you just call some random or message some random famous person and say, hey, do you want to talk on the phone for a couple hours? They'll say no. <laughs> they said, do you want to talk on the phone for a couple hours and I'll record it and put it on the internet? They say yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so he, he picked up on that. We started messaging. I'm like, hey, do you want to talk on the phone for a couple hours and put it on the internet? He says, you know the answer to that. So we jumped on. But you know, beyond the, I, mean, I just, I love the way looking, I look, I love looking at it that way. But realistically, there's never been a time in human history when you've been able to listen to more long form conversations between human beings. It's really kind of special, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's really interesting that that has, that there's such a demand for that. Yeah. Because so much of what we consume these days is little snippets. Like we live in a very, very much like a clip culture where you Mm. read headlines and you, you read or you listen, watch 15 second reels on Instagram or, you know, the limited um, characters on Twitter. Mm. But then there's an equal demand for some reason to sit and listen to two dudes gab for three hours and have deep conversation. And I think, I think that's actually really encouraging because so many people talk about the negative aspects of social media and right. the negative aspects of technology and the direction that we're moving in. But I think it's it's overlooked how much good has come from um, from podcasting specifically um, mm-hmm. because it's it's given us the opportunity to really get to know what people really think mm-hmm. without all of the filters and out all of the censorship or the the network. Um, the network guidelines that they, what they want you to say within that one or time period. TV is, 
is really just it's it's an archaic way of consuming information and so yeah i've just i really wanted to start podcasting um one to become a better conversationalist because um i was never really that great at talking and so i was like okay well what's what's one of my biggest fears and that's you know slipping up in a candid conversation or not knowing what to say or not being you know precise in my speech or being able to articulate myself properly and so it's like okay how can i get better at that i'm going to record myself so i can hear just how flawed my speech is mm-hmm. and then improve on that and um and the other reason was i i just wanted to talk to cool people mm-hmm. um and that's been super powerful me for, for me because it's just it's given like you were saying it's 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 given me a reason to reach out to these people and also offer them some value in a platform to get their message out so yeah like i have nothing but positive things to say about you know this this um i guess the future of of i guess what's the word of, of media really yeah and connection oh, yeah. <clears throat> well the, this is great because i was i was wondering there's so many different doors in to you and to your personality so there's the bow hunting and then there's the bodybuilding and then there's the music and then there's the podcasting i was trying to figure out how do i want to how do i want to approach this which door do i want to go in through and you just kind of answer the question <laughs> for me which was so let's talk about let's start out talking about your podcast first because you know i like you i was actually terrified to sit down and return record my first podcast it was just like oh my god mm-hmm. i don't want to I, I had to force myself to because i do a poetry podcast and i knew i had i which is just me reading and interpreting a poem and I, I mm-hmm. had an interview coming up with Tanner Guzzi for my first very first episode. So I wanted to sit down and get familiar with the equipment. So I had to actually like twist my own arm to sit down and, and like record the poetry episode first. Like I'm just going to do this, mm-hmm. you know, and it actually turned out to be way easier than I expected, but I was really nervous to get into it. So, so let's talk about your podcast a bit, the sort of things that you like to interview, the sort of, the sort of men that you'd like to bring on board and, and what your vision of it is. And then from there, we'll transition into all the other things that you're into that I'm so innately curious about, which I'm one of the many reasons I was excited to talk to you. Yeah, sure. No, no problem. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I host the, it's called the Barbaric Wisdom Podcast. And I really just wanted to connect with other people who really just inspired me and shared my philosophies. And I wanted to get more stories out there that could, that could be used as fuel for other people, really, because I've, I've gained so much from, so many people that I would call my mentors that I've actually never met. And they may have, may never even know my name, mm-hmm. but I've gained so much from different personalities. Like we've spoken about, you know, on in, in, in the DMS about, you know, like Jordan Peterson and some other guys um, that are just are really where you would like to be, or I would like to be one day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that was really just inspiring for me. And so I wanted to explore that a little bit. And, um, yeah, like you were saying, the podcasting at the beginning was like a little bit rocky because it really is a skill. Mm-hmm. I had some advantage, I think, starting out because I had spent so much time listening to myself record music as a vocalist. And you really, when you when you record music for the first time and you hear your voice recorded for the first time, everybody hates the sound of their own voice. Of course. So I had at least already gotten over that part. <laughs> yes. Um, 
you know, cause it's like for, for any musician, it's like, you, know, you, you listen to the sound of your voice for the first time. It's like, Oh God, is that, is that really what I sound like? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and so, so yeah. And so I just, I started with that and, um, I haven't, I haven't been releasing a ton of episodes. I've really taken the approach of more kind of, um, I guess quality over quantity mainly because, um, I really just didn't want to put out another podcast of like a bunch of bros gabbing. I really wanted right. wanted to put out good episodes with really great guests that people were looking forward to hearing from. Um, and so that's kind of been the approach I, I've taken with it. And I've taken maybe a little bit slower um, than other people. But I mean, I've talked to just some amazing guys. I've talked to bodybuilders. I've talked to um, Aaron Snyder recently, who was on the Joe, Rog- Joe Rogan podcast. He's one of the most um, accomplished um, tr- trad bow hunters in the world right now. He owns uh, Kafaru International, which is uh, a very high-end uh, backpack company for hardcore kind of back backcountry bow hunters. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, you know, I've connected with Jack for a couple of episodes and that's turned into, you know, I, I talk to him a few times a week now. And so... Oh, wow. Um, not just not just just for the sake of of podcasting, but for the sake of actually connecting with men who share the same ideals as me that I may not necessarily have in my hometown. And I think that's for a lot of people. Like your inner circle doesn't necessarily need to be those four people that you graduated high school with. Now that we have social media, like you can connect with anybody anywhere if if you share those same values and you have something to offer so i really just wanted to develop myself so that i had something to offer that's a fantastic reason to get into a podcast you know but to recognize that there's a growth opportunity in there for yourself i mean you can have a message to to share with the world but unless you can find a reason to do anything that it you know it, it sounds selfish to say but the term that i've heard is actually self full it's not selfish. It's self-full. Mm-hmm. It's to say, I'm actually doing this for my own, for the pursuit of my own goals. That's the best. I mean, I always tell people like, in fact, I met a mm-hmm. guy yesterday and I was telling him, he was like, I haven't been getting into podcasting. I was on my friends to help him out. I kind of want to do my own. He said, and I said, you should do that. He's like, I don't know if I'm qualified. I said, we're having a conversation. Congratulations. You're qualified to run a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it can be that simple. If you know how to talk to somebody, all you're doing is just talking to them with a microphone in front of your face. I mean, that's it. There's really no difference. Oh. Right? Absolutely. And I mean, you get better the more yeah. podcasting that you do. Like if you if you listen to my first episode, I'm saying and and like and I'm nervous and mm-hmm. I'm talking too fast and I'm interrupting my guests. And then you listen to episode two, there's a little bit less of that. And then episode three, okay, I've learned to pause and give the other person an opportunity to speak. And that translates over to, you know, everyday interactions Mm -hmm. or even in your workplace, if you want to be able to communicate something properly with your boss and be more confident, like there's so much you gain from just practicing talking. It's like any other thing. A thousand percent. That has been so true for me because I listened to the early episodes and I was, I was stuttering quite a bit because I had all these thoughts and I wasn't sure what to say and what's appropriate. 
And I realized over time I was editing them out because it just made listening to the conversation. And I did edit some of my early guests as well because, you know, some of them would have long pauses and ums. And so I would edit them out to, mm-hmm. you know, to make the podcast flow a little better. And, and I realized like this is just not sustainable because a, a three hour podcast would take between four and six hours to edit. It's like, this is just mm-hmm. not sustainable. So I said, okay, I'm going to get my take right. Like, what am I doing? Get it right on the first, you know, you're a musician, you get it right on the first take. You know what I mean? You show mm-hmm. up and you get it done in the studio. Cause you're not going to, it's a pain in the ass to fix it in post. And I was like, I put those lessons to the test and I was like, okay, I want to show up and be present and just be confident in what I'm saying. And it's absolutely translated to every dimension of my life. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I haven't mm-hmm. had the chance to really share that with people. Yeah, I I 100% agree with that. And the other thing that's kind of interesting is the connection that you made between getting it on the first take as a musician and mm-hmm. podcasting. Podcasting, you only get one take. Right. But the other thing that I like I like to remember and and to not be so precious with my episodes is that why I think a lot of my music has resonated with people is that when we record a record, we don't really delete the mistakes. Mm. We keep a lot of the mistakes. And unless it's just a really bad take and it could have been played better, oftentimes it's the first take that's the best take because it has the most nuance. You have the most, you know, grit in your fingers. And and sometimes, especially when you're recording vocals, weird shit just happens. Mm. And when you keep that and you listen to it later, that's what gives it that human quality. And I think that's why I really enjoy just pressing play on somebody because the thing about podcast is that's what makes it feel like people are participating in the conversation because Mm. it is imperfect. You know, that's what makes most art beautiful is that it isn't perfect. And I think that's what makes a good conversation is that people actually get to hear, you know, you stumble through a thought and then make your way back to it and then fully form what you were trying to say mm-hmm. or or to even the freedom to say something stupid and then correct yourself later. Like, yeah. like conversation really is a dance. And I think that's what makes you know, Joe Rogan has the most popular podcast in the world and he doesn't edit his podcast. And I think that be, that's because it's messy in a mm. good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an appealing thing for people to listen to. Like, well, yesterday I had a podcast with, uh, with, uh, the mist, uh, the gentleman mystic, uh, Billy red horse, who I follow on Twitter and he's great. And he's very big on manners and, and, uh, and he, it's a, one of his big themes is about a certain sense of propriety and decorum <clears throat> and dignity and dealing with others. He's a Southern gentleman from Atlanta and so that's really important to me as well because it's how I was raised. So I had intended to start off the podcast saying, Mr. Red Horse, sir. And I just like stumbled my way through but starting out. I was like, you know, and, but it was funny. He was so gracious about it. He's like, let's just keep that. I'm like, you're right. Let's just keep rolling. So like I had a plan to do this really kind of graceful intro. And it's like I walked in the room and tripped over my own feet. You know what I mean? Which I, which I don't usually do. But I was I was reflecting on that through the conversation. I was like, actually, that's going to be a really, really nice thing because I'm the only one who's going to head trip over it for the next five minutes. Everyone else will have forgotten it two seconds later. But it's just to oh, so yeah. be able to weave that in sort of thematically throughout the the conversation, I think was was really cool to be able to do. And I guess, like you say, that's the that's the beauty of a live conversation instead of something edited for TV, I suppose you might say. Oh, abs- absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think it 
it also makes people feel like you're human too. Because I think people yeah. get this weird thing about content creators where they think that there's this divide between people who consume content and people who create yeah. content. Like they're not human beings. It's so weird. But yeah. And you know, that's maybe why people who consume content are so critical of people who release content. But I mean, in some ways that's a good thing too. Cause like I've read comments before where I've been like, I don't get a lot of negative comments, but I've read a few where I'm like, well, like I kind of had a point about that part or I've gone back and I've listened to something and been like, God, why did you say that? And then it caused me to go and listen to other guys' podcast who maybe some of their philosophies align with something I dismissed on an episode and I listened to it and I was like, oh, that's gross. I'm going to go listen to what he actually thinks. Oh, wow. And then I learned something. I'm like, man, I could actually take some of these principles that I originally thought I was critical of and rework them into my own philosophies, take what I like from it. And it's just, you learn so much by kind of allowing yourself the freedom to make mistakes. You know, what's, what's interesting about what you're saying is that you know, we started out talking about the popularity of podcasting and, and I've actually heard it that podcasting is actually becoming more popular than listening to music now. And I've mm. been, I mean, because you can't listen to a podcast and music at the same time. Like if you have an hour's worth of listening to do in the day, you know, I, I listen to music in one year and I got podcasts in the other year and it's a nightmare. But I mean, really like people are starting to tend towards podcasts and I've been reflecting on why that might be. And, uh, and Tanner Guzzi actually posted on Twitter mm, a few days ago, something about how he and his friends find that they're not really able to uh, discover music anymore that captures the way that they're experiencing the moment, which I would assume mm. extends for the past like 13 months, you know, like what kind of music are you going to listen to that's going to express anything that's allowed to express anything of value about what's going on in the world today, whatever your perspective is, like, how do you mm -hmm. find music that expresses your I'm, in, I'm going to throw out a bunch of different ways people could be reacting in this moment. Mm -hmm. Overwhelming frustration or terror or, you know, or, or rage or whatever the feelings that are out there. How do you find music mm -hmm. that captures that? And you're, you're both a pot. And so I think people go to podcasts because they find auditory content that feels mm -hmm. like the moment, but it's not musical, but you're both a podcaster and a musician. So maybe you can speak to that a little bit because you're actually straddling the divide. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think that for me, the way that I really experience music or seek to experience music is through a lot of bands that really are quite progressive. And they like to, they're, it's, it's a lot of like exploring worlds and building worlds. And it's very based in mythology or mm. mythology that the bands have created mm. and the atmosphere that they create creates maybe a world that I wouldn't normally get to experience. And so in kind mm. of like the genres that I've explored, um, that has been really interesting for me and, and really just exciting to be able to basically create something or listen to something and then step into a different realm, really. And I think that's, that's why the music that I've created has ended up sounding the way that it has because to be honest, kind of to what Tanner is saying is that because that doesn't exist, I want to create what mm -hmm. doesn't exist. I want to create something that I want to hear that isn't out there mm -hmm. already so that I can listen to it and I can experience it through 
the process of creating that. And, um, and that's why I just, I gravitate to a lot more of this atmospheric stuff or exploring, you know, like Boreal him, for example, um, is very much rooted in, you know, kind of like a pagan ritualistic feel. And we use a lot of, um, you know, like, uh, tribal instruments, tribal drumming, um, different folk instruments and things like that. There's a lot of horns, um, especially on the new stuff that's going to be coming out in the next year. Um, it's just, I want to, I want to hear something that I haven't heard before. And so maybe it doesn't exist, but there has to be people out there that are creating those things that you want to hear that don't exist. Mm -hmm. I like what you said about creating an aesthetic universe because you sort of step into mm -hmm. the world of someone like a Wardruna or something like that. And it's like, you're not just listening to your music, you're experiencing the entire aesthetic and worldview of the band in this really, really rich way. Versus like, mm -hmm. if you listen to it, even let's rewind the clock back to 2019, like, yeah, you would go to a concert and you would experience the sort of creative vision of a band plus, I don't know, a set designer or what, you know, whatever, whatever that person is who designed the concert designer. I don't know. I made that up, that turn up, but you know, I think you know what I mean. Versus the experience of listening to Wardrunner where it's like, no, this is the world that we inhabit. Like we're not, we're, we don't just put on our costumes in a way and then show up like, this is everything. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a look, it's an art, it's a music style. And so the piece of music that I've listened to the most over the past year is by this uh, guitarist named Estas Tone. And I think he's mm -hmm. Spanish and he's an acoustic guitarist, sort of flamenco. I've listened to him actually. I, I love, I love that guy's music. Out of control. Um, sorry. So again, I just, I wanted to, wanted to, yeah, continue on. That's, oh yeah. He's, he's awesome. I haven't met anybody else that's actually mentioned that they they know that guy so that's cool oh yeah no his um my friend jameson turned uh turned me on to his music he there was a video of him estas tone playing on on youtube it's uh his track flight of the golden dragon i think it's called and it's mm -hmm. just uh, it's got like 80 million views on youtube and it's just him ripping out this incredible you know flamenco style modern guitar it's just insane the, mm -hmm. the technique on this dude so i went looking for more of his music and i found his um his album internal flight which is about an hour long and there's no words mm -hmm. and it's just it's just a, his a solo acoustic guitar and i think probably a lot of effects maybe there's someone else on it with him but i've listened to that album dozens of times and it's like an hour mm -hmm. long and every time it's beautiful and it's rich and i come from a dj background so i used to create these big long sound tapestries with with, with music and so it's the only thing I've experienced that's like listening to a DJ set, but it's someone playing. And I just listen to that over and over again because I feel like I'm stepping into his aesthetic universe and there's no words mm -hmm. I can escape. So maybe what you're saying a little bit, it sounds to me is like the bands that you're into are creating a sense of not, they're not commenting on the world. They're, they're creating a way for us to escape out of the world. Is that probably something similar to what you look for? Precisely. Yeah. Okay. And and it, I, I know the album you're speaking about, and it is very much like that. And I like to listen and and create albums like that because mm -hmm. it 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 really just it takes you on a journey. And I love albums that you can't just track skip; like yeah. you have to listen to the entirety of its work to really understand the landscape that he's trying to take you on. And you really do like from beginning to end. There's there's these peaks and valleys, and it you know it takes you through different different I guess it, it's it it's kind of like 
I mean, it's kind of like a storybook, right? It takes you through mm-hmm. different different settings and different different roads and different realms, and and that's what I've I've found really exciting about listening to music and and playing music. And I really do seek that out when I look for music to listen to or that inspires me. Is is do they have that element to it? Because it's you know, like there's so many songs that are just sad mm-hmm. about girls and I really don't want to create any more of that <laughs> personally. A few of those, yeah. You know, like there's so many songs that are just, it is, it are about breakups and you know, I, I want to, I want to explore other universes. And so that's really what I'm about to me. And the cool thing is like, I give so much credit of that to my friends that I play music with because, um, Carl Tavares, who's who's the main guitar player in in Seer, and he writes most of our stuff. He just writes these incredibly long, you know, songs with just huge riffs that envelop you and and build and build and build and just take, like I said, take you on journeys. And same with Boreal Him, but just in a different context. And the cool thing about being a vocalist for those kinds of bands is I kind of just get to show up and put on a costume almost, you know, mm-hmm. be somebody else in the context of, of these, of these musical explorations. And, um, you know, even with like our recording process, most of the time I don't really write anything before we go into the studio. Um, I like to really go in there and listen to the songs in my headphones and then stumble through what, melodies or vocal parts or you know just ridiculous cathartic sound i might make Mm. to fit the part and really that's kind of part of the experience for me is to just like step into that um world and like become the spirit of that music or the creature of that album or whatever that's going to be at the voice of the band so as you're talking about all these bands like run through each of the bands that you're in, because I've count, I count three, four different bands and which is awesome by the way. And they're, they're all very, they're all very different, which I found when I went listening to your music today, I'm like, okay, this sounds nothing like that. And that sounds nothing like this Mm -hmm. and sort of, I mean, are they all the same people? Are they all different people? Do you just record all day? Like, what does that, what does that look like? (laughs) It's uh, it is a lot of the same people. Mm -hmm. So there's, Seer, which was kind of our first band and is still sort of like the center of the Seer universe of multiple bands. Everything mm-hmm. else is kind of a bit of a a side project of that. And then there's also uh, another group of men that play in another band uh, called Wormwitch. And so we've basically kind of just morphed into one giant band that borrows members. And yeah. when in, when each of us have a new project we basically just sample the best members from each of the two bands and then it becomes that because you know they're all great players they all share the same musical interests and so that's been kind of cool where um, one guy will basically just write a whole album and then we'll pick who's the best for it for vocals or the best Mm. for it for bass or whoever's going to fill the role for those projects to make them come alive and so Sear was kind of the first one and that was kind of a um an exploration into new territory as itself in itself because there wasn't really anything 
like that that crossed so many genres that was really listenable at that mm. time that had been put together in a way that was cohesive. So we really wanted to just try something and take a risk that nobody would listen to it. And by doing that and creating something so unique, it that project really just took off without any effort whatsoever. We we only had two practices before we recorded the album wow. as an actual band. Uh, we, had, we had listened to the demos and then we jammed twice and then we recorded it. And then it got picked up by a label almost right away wow. when we released it. And we didn't have any intention of getting picked up by a label at all, really. We just wanted to record something different that we didn't have any of the pressure of fitting into a genre type or whether or not this would be liked, whether or not this would get plays. And since then, we've really taken the same approach to each album. And that's why each album sounds so different is every time, because we started the project with that freedom, each record has just become an absolute experiment into different territory every single time. And so that's kind of become almost the dynamic and identity of that band. And so um, we're now on uh, Artifact Records, which is surprisingly puts out a lot of electronic music and mm. kind of 80s um, resurgence of of music as well, like pop music and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but we seem to be one of the maybe two metal bands that are on that record that got picked up. And um, and that has done really well. And so we, we have new music that's unreleased that we will be putting out somewhat soon, but we kind of put that band on a little bit of a, of a break, not a hiatus. We're all still playing in other bands together mm -hmm. on new projects. But with those records, they are just such an undertaking that you really have to be in that exploratory space to really like want to build the new world before you start the project because it it is something you can only really focus on one thing at a time and so yeah that's kind of where everything started and it it just expanded from there as we got um deeper connected with the music scene and other members and kind of figured out exactly what our capabilities were for writing, creating music. And then I linked up with half of Wormwitch because my guitar player, Kyle, who's kind of been my co-conspirator all, all along, um, he was actually playing in Wormwitch for their, um, their North America tours as a touring guitar player. And so everything just kind of happened naturally as friends. And, um, and then Boreal Him soon became another big project of mine um, that has also kind of done really well. Um, we recently signed to uh, Prophecy Records, which is when our next album is going to be coming out mm. on and released later this year. Um, but that was really very much inspired by myself and Colby of Worm, which is kind of deep love for Norse mythology. And mm -hmm. so a lot of it was inspired by that and the aesthetics and the sound. You know, if you know who Wardruna is, if you're listening, um, they were in part a big inspiration for taking it that direction by infusing more tribal elements with, you know, heavy metal and black metal. And, but again, it was another one of those things I where... Colby and I were like, I've never really heard these two things put together in a way that 
isn't corny. And so that was the goal with that was to cross genre genre and create this new creature and this new sound that was still cohesive and didn't just sound like a Viking metal band. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Or something, something, something corny or cheesy or whatever. So. And then you have a, a dark wave project as well that I listened to today. Also, like I listened through as, as much of your music as I could, as I could realistically do. And it, by the way, it, it all sounds excellent. And it, like, it doesn't sound, it has that published on label feeling like they, you know, this is not a, a band of a bunch of dudes, like just hanging out and jamming and putting stuff out on the internet. Like it has, there's something about the musicality of it and the melodies and the chord progressions. That's like, no, this is a, this is a real band of talented musicians because there's a way that music like that kind of moves that, mm. you know, once you get listened to a bunch of bands who maybe aren't signed on labels, you get a sense of that distinction. And so I was listening to it. I'm like, Oh wow, this stuff is actually really, really good. So, um, especially the, um, the uh, the hymn one. I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of that band. Boreal hymn. Boreal yeah, hymn. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, even that like that that demo album. I was like, wow, that's really really good stuff. So, and then I listened to the Dark Wave track as well, and that was also excellent with the great video. And and so talk about that one as well because I know that's some of the '80s resurgence that's going on bizarrely right now. Yeah, and the interesting thing about that band is that is also myself and Kyle Tavares, who's the guitar guitar player for Sear. And so when you listen to that project, you're just kind of like, where did this come from? Um, because, you know, it's it's very melodic and it has a lot of kind of 80s pop Holland Oats almost elements with a very <laughs> dark, with a very dark um, kind of, uh, I guess, gothic vibe painted over top of all of it. But we took, honestly, the same approach with that. Um, as we do with everything else, because me and me and Kyle were very much interested in in you know '80s music, and it has some nostalgia, especially just a lot of the the artistic visuals and and just the '80s were like a a, a thing of its own. No one can mm. really put their finger on exactly what the '80s were. They just were the '80s. Yeah, <laughs> and so we wanted to create a project like that, but taking the same approach that we did with all of our other records where I really like elements of these different genres, but I haven't heard it put together in this interesting way. And so again, we just kind of put that sort of metal, heavy metal mentality towards the writing process. And I guess the seer, um, peaks and valleys that we, and sort of exploratory way of creating music that we did with everything else and just wanted to take people on another journey in a different context. And so that project's been kind of cool because we very much are working to create a visual aspect that goes with every song and every single. Mm -hmm. And so, um, like for example, there was the kind of vampire theme that we did with the grift, um, and we're hoping to do a lot more music videos where it's almost like a music video for every song mm -hmm. to paint a different picture. And that's, that's been partly, um, with the help of our friend, uh, Lucian Xavier, who, d who has done basically all of the music videos for all of our bands. And, um, he's a friend of ours. And so we worked with him on that, uh, eighties inspired, uh, project, uh, to create the video. and. Yeah, it's just the the fun part about all of this stuff for us has just been also 
not just focusing on the music, but focusing on all of the other creative elements to really create a, a, a full experience for everyone that is interested in the, in the music and the projects. And, um, so, you know, we put a lot of time and effort into finding album artists where they create custom art for the records that will depict an aspect or, or of a concept in the, uh, in the record. Um, and same with the music videos, it tells a story. And so, um, that's just really been the goal with that is to build worlds and, and hopefully people enjoy it enough and understand it enough through the visual aspects that they feel like they can dip their toe in into that as well. That's really exciting to hear because that's the sort of thing that I've been looking for is a kind of music that I can really just disappear into because so little modern music has that quality. Like you can go back and listen to classical music or listen to I like Keith Jarrett, the the pianist, the the improvisational pianist, just soaring, you know, uh, 20 minute, 30 minute long pieces where he just, just plays whatever is just coming through him. And he'll just go through these waves of just pure inspiration of just music pouring through his fingers. And it's really escapist in that way where it's not like a, a band playing a song that they've written, you know, and it's very square and it's very presented in this very packaged entertainment kind of way. It's like, no, it's just not doing it for me right now. Like mm-hmm. take me away. You know what I mean? Take, take me beyond the sound and the, and the words and the energy and, and take me into an aesthetic so I can have a, this sort of full body kind of experience. And it's really cool mm-hmm. to, you know, to hear you articulate this, because I, I don't know that I could have said that that was what I was looking for until, until now. Like what is, what's like, how could, how could anything be lacking from music? Well, it turns out 2020 has proved that something is lacking in music. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's everything has become just, again, it's that maybe it's, it's what we've adopted through the instant gratification of mm. all of the other aspects of culture where everything is just so quick. Everything is fast food. Everything is fast internet. And um, a lot of people don't have the patience to just sit down and really just sit into something mm-hmm. and experience it with, experience it and be a hundred percent present in that experience. And um, I try my best to, to make sure that I take time to do that. But I mean, like you said, being busy, like who has time to do that? So for me, training is where I listen to albums. Yeah. Honestly, I work out so I can go and listen to an hour and a half record that I wouldn't otherwise have the time for between podcasting and all these other projects. Um, and so, but yeah, like just to what you were kind of saying about finding something that takes you somewhere else. Um, I just, I really feel that music for me has been like a cathartic release. And I try and kind of treat everything like that. Even with live shows, you know, it's, it's not about like you were saying this quick packaged, whatever's catchy. Can you remember the chorus after 20 seconds? Like so many Mm -hmm. people approach to writing, especially to writing hits. Um, It's just, I really want to create something that's authentic and and something that hasn't been done before. Um, And maybe that doesn't make it accessible to everybody, but I think 
that's your duty as an artist is to create art, not create what is easily consumable. That's right. That's right. Well, I mean, before, before this past year, I was really into a cut. The last two bands that I was really super into were, um, were this band Lord Huron and uh, mm-hmm. the band called the head and the heart. And this sort of, I sort of had like this indie folk kind of thing going on and Tyler Childers and, and stuff like that. And to that point, like when I went back to listen to their music, I was like, yeah, it's just not, it's just not grabbing me. I want to, I want to disappear. Like you say, like when, when working out or something, like if I want to really experience music, I don't want to listen to a jumbled up playlist of different stuff. Like mm-hmm. let me just shut off the world and I'm just going to disappear into sound for a little bit. Or, you know, like, like you say, at, working out is the, is the, is the best time. Like I was working with a trainer for several months and I found myself as much as I enjoyed, as much as I enjoyed working with him, I realized I kind of missed that me time. You know, where she, mm-hmm. me and the weights, it's like I, and I definitely recognizing that that now would be a good time to get headphones and because I'm tired of listening to the, the, <laughs> the rap that's on the, I mean, I go to a boxing gym, so there's got hip hop and rap playing. I was like, okay, I can't listen to this anymore. But yeah, like to be able to really just sink into this alternate aesthetic universe of sound. That's, you know, honestly though, the visuals can also come through in the music also, because if you listen mm-hmm. to a certain kind of band, even hearing the music, you'll be like, you know what, the way they do that, I can tell they're probably incredible live with the presentation. I don't know what creates mm. that not being a musician, but it sounds like that's kind of the realm that you're in. Well, I think that uh, I was literally, you basically just kind of took the thought out of my my head there for a second. And awesome. what I was about to just kind of say was, um, there's there's music that is heavy and it's still not heavy. Mm-hmm. And there's music that isn't, sonically heavy that is still very heavy and you can tell whether or not as a listener even if it's not something that you're consciously thinking about it's something that you are actually physically experiencing is is that artist heavy in themselves and i think that's what brings out the heaviness and the intensity in music and that's one thing since my earlier days playing in you know hardcore bands and it was a lot more kind of aggro stuff. But when I moved into more melodic music, I always wanted to make sure that I kept that heaviness in myself and that intensity in myself. And I think that's where you lose people and you lose the authenticity because like you were saying, you can listen to that, uh, that solo guitarist album. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's a heavy album. Like he is heavy yeah, in himself for sure. creating that music it's very intense and you can feel that when you listen to it but that's not something i think you can just copy paste and and loop and recreate like that's a human quality mm. coming through sonically that's so cool that's so well said i love it i love it because that's isn't that as i find that the more i get into any particular thing that I'm into, whether it be, you know, exploring the realm of content creators or YouTubers or, or podcasts or whatever, that's ultimately our chefs or whatever, whatever creative endeavor, that's ultimately what I'm trying to find. You just put a nail on it. Like I want to find a creator of whatever it is, who's heavy in themselves, who puts some, who something has been invested into them, let's say, and then they invest that back into the art. And that's just, that's just a level above. Like there's, and there's Mm -hmm. no, it kind of feels like in my own process of 
creativity in the ways that I've explored. Like that's just a state change. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's incre- it's incremental. There's no there's no gradual. It's just like boom, you're just on this different level where you've suddenly discovered this ability to channel something deeper through yourself, and then you mm-hmm. can't ever not do that. And that's ultimately what I find myself going looking for and artists uh, or creators of, of any kind is that sense of like that sense of heaviness, that sense of that sense of weight, because there's something nourishing about that in a way. That's the only mm-hmm. like there's something like when I, for lack of a better word, consume the content, even though that's such a dry way of putting it, mm-hmm. I, I walk away with something like I'm more than entertained and more than amused or, or 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 distracted. It's like, oh, I, I put that on or I read that book or I, I watched that video or whatever I did. It's like, oh, something is now with me and I need to go and sit with that. Like that's the mm-hmm. that's the experience. I think you just nailed what that what sounds like you to me what you nailed what that is. Yeah. And it's, you know, and and sometimes it almost it's almost like people can be a conduit for something else. Yeah. You know, some people just do these incredible things and they they exert this all encompassing energy about them when they're honing their craft. And it's, I mean, like anybody could sit and talk about philosophy if they understood the source material, but there might be one guy that you listen to and just like, I, I actually believe him. (laughs) I believe that he lives his life the way that he describes, you know, or that that is those philosophies that he shares as part of his being in every way. Or same with like a musician, you know, um, they just, they have a supernatural element to them that human beings can connect with. And um, it's just, I have no other way to really describe it other than it just, it feels like magic when you're in the presence of it, but you recognize when you're not in the presence of it. <laughs> and I think that's really what will define someone as either authentic or inauthentic is do they make you feel something when they share with you their whatever it is that they they want to share you know and the the name that comes to mind when you're talking about that most readily is who we started out talking about which is jack donovan like that that is jack donovan like he he lives you know to the extent that i know him which is to say that i've met him in person and been to his uh his office studio in in Salt Lake City and 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 interviewed him in podcasts and hung out with him a couple of times. Like he embodies his aesthetic fully. He is mm-hmm. he is, and there's no one else in this entire renaissance of men, as I call it, who really embodies who he is as fully and as compellingly and as I guess fulfillingly to engage with. You know, like I think mm-hmm. of like a, a creator like a coach Greg Adams. Like he has his own mm-hmm. universe that he's kind of working on, but like. To engage with that universe is like as much as as much as as entertaining as he is. It's like I don't know that I'm completely aligned with you philosophically. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. you know, I go read Jack Donovan's books and listen to his podcasts and the music that he writes and the, the you know his his aesthetics. And it's like I can just get lost in this universe that he's now created for me. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of I can't think of anyone else who isn't a, a musician who I can even think of that. I can, I really I struggle with that, and I don't think there is anybody. He is he's practically a musician without writing music. But he is an artist. That's true. You know, he went to art school. That's and true. if you've seen That's any true. of his work, you know, he is he he is a creative guy and he mm-hmm. comes from that background. And maybe that is just something that people have and they apply it to everything because maybe that's what makes them feel fulfilled. You know, is he is 
to use his phrase, starting a new world. Mm. And when he creates this aesthetic about him that embodies his philosophies, it does tell a story so that other people can experience exactly what he's trying to convey in the most tangible way, which is visualization. Mm. And he's just, he's become a master of aesthetics. And I think he's been able to do that so successfully in the imagery that he uses um, that also aligns with his writing and just the whole embodiment of his own philosophy, like you were saying, is really, it's, it's a heavy presence, mm-hmm. right? It's that same, you know, it's, it's, it's mastering that inner creativity in an authentic way and actually just really knowing who you are because it's really hard to paint a picture accurately where someone else will look at that person and be like, that is exactly what he says he is mm-hmm. in a visual representation. Like you really actually have to know yourself on a deep level to be able to do that because it's so easy to just take someone else's personal brand and copy it and then put out some courses or something like that. Like that happens very often, but he doesn't really do that. He mm-hmm. does it in his own way and it doesn't seem to be, you know, for for any kind of short-term monetary gain. He just loves the creative process and and recreating himself as he as he reorganizes his own world so it's it's really cool to watch it change or especially over the past year through the process of writing this book and then he's put out you know a lot of different stuff that's just been of a different tone and you can see that visually and like you were saying i i haven't seen anybody doing that in that way either. So it's it's just really cool to see that integration of the artist into the man and the athlete and mm. you know all of these other different facets of facets of a person. So I want to I want to continue following this line at the risk of this turning into a, a Jack Donovan love fest. He'll forgive. <laughs> well, I think it's actually like I think if 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 we were trying to, to try and have this conversation with Jack, it might be it might go a little differently. But I want to I want to sort of take it apart from the perspective of which is always my angle. What can men learn from this? Because mm-hmm. you know it, it's because he's doing something that in this world that we're in is is so unique. And I think the I think the only person as I'm running through the list of people in my mind who are doing something similar. The two names that rise to the top are uh, Tanner Guzzi and Zach Small. Zach Small isn't really creating an aesthetic universe so much. He's just kind of being himself, whereas Tanner is more focused on... Tanner is also being himself, obviously, but he's more Mm -hmm. focused on aesthetics naturally, which makes sense why why Tanner and Jack would get along so well, is that they're just kind of... They're kind of similar similar species of of what they're doing, I guess you might say. Mm -hmm. But as we're thinking about... As we're thinking about Jack, it's like he wrote The Way of Men and in, in my podcast, and you know, we talked about how he didn't expect, to, and he writes this in his new book, uh, Fire in the Dark, that he didn't expect to be this guy. So it's not like he started out writing that book and then, mm-hmm. you know, fully formed in his in his this isn't even my final form kind of way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he started out and he's gone on this journey of writing the words and then taking the words and transforming the words into not just action but also a, a specific way of seeing and then built that into himself and then put that back into the words. And mm-hmm. then I think it's like a self, it's like being so excellent at the self-creation process that mm-hmm. you've also created, he's also created this whole universe now where there's room enough for all of us to just kind of walk into. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, 
I had a podcast with him uh, last year where we kind of talked about the creative process a little bit. And you just kind of got me thinking about that conversation and the way that he kind of explained how you would start to draw a portrait of somebody is very much how it seems Jack has created the life-size version of the <laughs> Jack Donovan. Yeah. You know, because he was kind of explaining, you know, you'll start by just drawing a little sketch and it'll be, you know, just scratches on a paper and you might draw some eyes in the shape of a head. And most people will just stop there. Yeah. But what Jack explains that he does as an artist, you know, he'll rework the lines and then erase little bits and then keep going and then keep going and then step away from it, look back and okay, there's more work to do. But like he was saying, like some people will just do the bare minimum of that work and be happy with their chicken scratch on the paper, but he'll keep going and he'll keep shaping it. And eventually it will look like a photograph. Mm. And so knowing having had that conversation with him about visual art, it's very much the same process that you've noticed or identified in really his whole path of his career, which is really interesting. Um, and I also just, I really like that he's done this publicly mm -hmm. so other people can see the process and other people can also have the opportunity to change their mind too because mm -hmm. you know like you were saying like this all of the things that he write, writes about seem to be things that he's working on or working through and once he's figured it out then it's like okay boom here's the finished product mm -hmm. but he outlines the process for you so you can also work that through yourself as as he shares his philosophies and the process in discovering what those ideas inevitably are going to be by the time the uh, a book like fire in the dark comes out so yeah that just i find that whole that whole um that whole process for lack of a better word just really fascinating and i think again it's it's very much like any other art form like creating music you know you start with just a messy jam and then you find a few riffs and what what works and what doesn't and then you start to piece things together and then eventually you've got you know an hour and a half long album with layers and layers and layers of of reworked music that eventually becomes you know a monster or or just a, this this force um to be reckoned with and yeah i think you can take that approach to creating yourself and also, you know, creating a personal brand for yourself because yeah. to make the connection to what you were kind of saying about Tanner and the importance of aesthetics, you know, you do have some control over how you are perceived by the rest of the world. Right. You have a, you have quite a bit of control over that. Well, you don't have a control necessarily over how they perceive you but you have control over all the channels of communication. And that can mean, you know, that can mean the way you dress first and foremost, which is Tanner's whole thing. It's like how you dress and how you carry yourself is a form of communication. And you can, you can like most men, ignore that channel of communication, or you can participate in the dialogue and, and become uh, masterful at it 
and achieve a whole new different level. Like I, I started working with Tanner around some coaching for that last year. And I remember mm-hmm. I, I dumped everything out of my closet and I went and I bought a whole bunch of new clothes and it completely changed the way that I saw myself to be able to show up and get dressed in a particular way, not even mm-hmm. formal, but just to, just to know, have a, have a good sense of what my style is and to be able to like, when I go out into the world, like I, I get, you know, I, I look nice and it's like, it did mm-hmm. completely change my relationship to reality. So I can't control how people perceive me per se, but what I can do is I can control whether I'm perceived well, I guess you might say. And that's, mm-hmm. that's so important. And then there's, as we were talking about, about with the podcast, how you communicate, are you stuttering? Are you saying like, or, um, or are your thoughts coming out clean and well, and, and well formed? That's a, that's another one. And your personal brand, like, do you actually know how to express yourself clearly through the various forms of social media that you engage in? Like all these things are acts of, and then there's your, your environment that you live in. Like, is that mm-hmm. a creative act as well? I've, I've been, I've, I'm living alone now. It's been really exciting for me to begin to decorate my apartment and, and make it reflect me back to me. And mm-hmm. I don't, all these things aren't, they're not all separate. You know, I think we're used to thinking of them as different tasks, but I think in the process of building the notion of some uh some renaissance masculinity mm-hmm. there is there is the self-creation self-birthing process into the world which is actually really exciting to kind of be living through mm-hmm. because because you can also become somebody else by doing that yeah. or become a better version of yourself by doing that yeah right you know it's like maybe i don't feel like a guy who's dressed like a million bucks because I don't have a million bucks. But maybe if you just start kind of acting like you have a million bucks, eventually you might start having the confidence to make decisions that could lead towards you making a million dollars or whatever other thing that it is that you want to embody. You know, like we have to have ideals to look up to. And that's really what he teaches in his his newest book. And that's been true to me. And things that I've taken from other people that that kind of share the same philosophies. And, you know, another thing that men, I think, avoid is creating things that are beautiful because they think beauty is synonymous with femininity. Yep. But there is a lot of beauty that is very masculine. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's like you were saying, like you're going to create this sacred space in your house that mirrors, you know, the, the best version of you back to you. And, you know, that is a form of creating beauty for yourself and in the world. And it goes like that for other things, even like you were saying with your, your personal aesthetics and how you present yourself, you know, it's very difficult to feel good about yourself in a crappy old pair of, you know, stained sweatpants. Oh yeah. You know, like you don't, you you aren't showing up to the world as your best. And I think that's really what it's about. It's like, okay, defining all of these different aspects of myself that could potentially make me valuable or are currently currently taking taking away from the value that I could be offering because I'm not I'm not embodying the best version of that, finding out what those things are, and then just building from there. Like that's really what creates a person. You know, it's all these small things that you 
you identify and then polish and work on and just it 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 branches out from there because if you can think about one thing in this particular way and just make one thing better it all it it all just envelops your entire your entire life and you, all you have to do is really apply that that same approach to everything else it's the same process of of improvement um whether it be learning to be a better speaker or learning to dress better or becoming more physically fit um or even starting a business it's the same process first you have to take the step and risk and risk making mistakes and then you iron out those mistakes as you go like so many people don't start a business or start a podcast or start a band because they're worried that the first thing that they put out is going to suck and everything they put out after that is going to be the same men if you've been part of men's personal development for any length of time you'll know the vital importance we place on fitness one of the key turning points of my life that led directly to the renaissance of men was me losing 40 pounds during lockdown and transforming my physique. I was motivated enough to do it on my own, but looking back, I wonder what I could have accomplished with guidance and support in creating my own physical rebirth. Enter Derek Arellano of Train Volition. Together, we've assembled a special program called the Volition Renaissance, targeted specifically for my listeners. Derek and I work together to merge our values. I unapologetically promote a man's need to embrace his masculinity, and Derek celebrates men's desire for physical prowess. To bring this about, Derek has developed a 12-week all-encompassing online program with some pretty amazing features. You kick off the program with a 30-minute consultation with Derek where he gets to know you and plots your upward trajectory. Then you get a training and nutrition plan tailored for your goals, whether they be weight loss, mass gain, sports performance, or rehabilitation at any age or stage of life. Then you get a mobile training app to track your progress, lifestyle coaching to help you cultivate habits for success, three PDF ebooks that outline Derek's philosophy behind fitness and nutrition, and finally, a direct line to Derek for support when you need it most. The purpose behind this offering isn't just to get you in shape, but to create your physical renaissance. Because, as I've personally discovered, true fitness goes beyond lifting heavy things and eating better food. It requires a total shift in mindset which often requires support. And I know Derek can get you there. His brand is called Volition because it means making a choice, taking the path of effort, and using your willpower to achieve a goal. That's why he's the perfect partner for the renaissance of men. This program is for men who are motivated and ready to create their physical rebirth. If you ask me, there's no time to waste. So to learn more and sign up for Volition Renaissance, visit volitiontraining.com slash renofmen. That's Volition Training. V-O-L-I-T-I-O-N training.com, volitiontraining.com slash men. This is Derek's most premium offering, which he's more than qualified to offer as a former top 10 U.S. bodybuilder. Check out my podcast episode with him from this year titled Fitness and Your Higher Self. Once again, to learn more, visit volitiontraining.com slash men and sign up now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like... I like everything that we're talking about here because I, I think it's this concept, this this idea that self-creation, self-discovery, self-invention, and self-creation as in bringing it into manifestation is actually just a really exciting thing to do. And mm-hmm. you, t- you take it, 
you know, the Royal you obviously not, not, I mean, although you Bronson do take it seriously clearly, but there, there's an aspect of like, if you take seriously the opportunity that you have to, to guide your life in the direction that you want to go and become the, the man that you want to be, you have control over that in a thousand little ways. Like I've heard a lot of people lately mentioning uh, Matthew McConaughey's book, uh, Green Lights, which, uh, which mm-hmm. I, sorry, my phone's on in the back of the room. So it's going to be, I don't know why it's binging. It sounds like Twitter's binging at me about something. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm in trouble on Twitter, but um, <laughs> so, um, but so the Matthew McConaughey's book, uh, Green Lights, people seem to talk about that quite a lot lately, where I guess the idea in the book is you set up little things during your day um, that create a green light. I'm like, <laughs> maybe, maybe I should go turn that <laughs> off, but uh, it really isn't the best. It's not sitting here next to me, but, um, but uh, you set up green lights in your day that, that direct you in the, in the ways that you want to go. And mm-hmm. I think what he's, what he's talking about is that same self-creation process. Like what decisions can I make during my day that head me in the direction that I want to head that turn me into the man that I want to be and then get to be that man in the world and then get to lead other people on the same path. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about. And that to me is, that's the whole thing that the Renaissance of men is about. Like, it's not about me. Like it's about me to the extent of this is me pursuing my, we'll say highest version, but mm-hmm. I want other men to have that experience for themselves and recognize that they can do it. And that this idea of being, you, know, you watch this Estos Stone guy that we're talking about, the Flight of the Golden Dragon performance. Mm-hmm. If you look at him on the street corner, I think it's in Spain or something like that, and you compare him to everyone else around him, it's a completely different species of human being. It's mm-hmm. not. It's night and day. It's it's stark, and it's not just because he's heavy in himself, like you say, and he has this gravitas around him because mm. his the clothes that he wears and the way he wears his hair and the shape of his face and all this stuff, his guitar and everything, he has sculpted himself like Jack Donovan has into mm-hmm. a particular being, kind of like Jordan Peterson has in his own way, and and kind of like maybe you and I are working on as well. And I I just think that's the most exciting thing to not accept yourself as the way that you've ended up and to say you can direct who you want to be. Mm-hmm. And I think so many people are are resentful of the person that they are now. And that doesn't excite them about the future, the future them that they could become. Because it's it's difficult to envision yourself as the product of thousands of little steps and decisions that inevitably become this great person that you look up to, you don't see all of the tiny details and, and failures and, and small sacrifices and discipline that they apply to their life over the course of many years Mm -hmm. to become this ideal that you're, you're looking up to like, Every person that you look up to at one point had to decide, I'm going to choose myself over something that is holding me back. Mm-hmm. And most people just don't want to make those small sacrifices. You know, like I get up at 5 a.m. every single day, seven days a week, including weekends. And it's not because I have to do that, but I have to start my day with a victory. And that's a small way that I do that, Mm -hmm. that carries on throughout the rest of the day. Because if I get up at five o'clock in the morning, I know that I'm already starting my day with the mindset that I am going to do 
what I said I'm going to do. I'm going to have integrity and honor myself. And that's going to be applied to every other task throughout the day. And I, I literally, I'm not a morning person. I have to put my alarm in the other room <laughs> in order to jar myself out wow. of bed. Because wow. you know how, and everyone knows how annoying the iPhone alarm is. Yeah. It is insufferable. And so that's what I have to do to do that. And and that's a commitment that I make to myself every day. And that's one of many things that I do basically to start off on the right um, foot every time I wake up. But that transfers over to everything else. And your decision to sleep in will also transfer over to everything else that you do at work or in your relationship, or even if it just means cleaning your house, which is such a simple task, you're not going to do it. And then you're not going to be surrounded by beauty because mm -hmm. you didn't you didn't apply that to all the other facets of your life that creates a beautiful meaningful life filled with positive relationships and and art and and um you know opportunity and all of these other things but it's that is really what the creation process is and you have to learn to enjoy all of these little victories while also envisioning the end goal. But I think a lot of people get impatient and they don't really enjoy that process. You know, they don't enjoy the moments of imperfection or or the small victories of 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 taking the step towards something maybe you are afraid to do, even if it is very tiny and very small. And that is really what I have grown to love about life in general is you know every day i need to find new victories because i know that these are these are chess pieces you know mm -hmm. in this board game of life to get me towards whatever it is that i envision myself as becoming and that might actually change someday you know like you're you may not always you may not necessarily become that thing that you're shooting for but you are aiming towards the sky, you know, mm -hmm. and you may take other roads along that path, but you ha also have to be open to that as well. Because I think, you know, a lot of people denigrate the opportunities that are right in front of them. They don't even see them. And so they don't capitalize on them because they're not grateful for the things that they do have in their life. And they don't take advantage of those things as they surface. And, and then it never becomes anything or maybe it passes them by, you know, things like that. Yeah. Well, this is, this is great because this is transitioning into a subject that I wanted to get in, uh, get into with you because I look at people who let opportunities sail by or who don't make the small incremental improvements in their lives. Like for example, you know, one of my quirks is I, I tend to keep my apartment pretty tidy and I tend to feel out of sorts if things are not tidy, right? Like mm -hmm. obviously like I'm a human being and there's so much to do. Like I'm not just cleaning all day, but like I keep my place pretty orderly and I feel weird if I don't make my bed in the morning and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I can be out of my apartment and if I know the bed isn't made, there's something that's dragging on me. You know what I mean? So that's mm -hmm. just, that's just who I am. Right. But there are people that, that allow things that are significant to them in their lives. Oh, when I talk to, um, I talked to the Howling Void on my podcast. Mm -hmm. He talked about his his pet peeve that he never allows himself to do is to um, he doesn't allow dishes to be in the sink because as soon as you put he said yeah, as soon as you put a fork in the sink then comes a plate and then you have mm -hmm. dishes stack which drives me nuts and I'm big on clear surfaces like I try to keep things off my um, countertops. <laughs> I, 
I'm very obsessive about that too. It stresses me out. I, I can't start anything if I feel like these these other jobs aren't done. Yeah. But there are plenty of people that let those things go. Like and this is not about any one particular thing. Like maybe you're fine mm. with your with your bed being unmade, or maybe you're fine with stuff on your countertop. But there's something in everyone's life generally that mm. they know that they some small incremental thing that they can do will that will make their life meaningfully better and that's a drag on their psyche somehow in the back of their mind right Mm -hmm. and i look at people who don't and everyone carries those and you either do something about it or you don't and i look at the people who are either unable or unwilling to do it is that there there's some other weight inside their mind that is generally related to to pain or suffering Mm -hmm. or trauma that they haven't actually worked with to release and because they're so they're so focused on this bigger thing it doesn't enable them to to work with the littler things. And I know that your experience, you know, from, from our conversation and some of the articles you told me, I would like to get into that, you mm-hmm. know, where you sort of started with this really powerful experience that you had and uh, uh, related to a crime that was being committed and how that took you on this big journey of, of, of I guess you might say trauma release, trauma resolution to become the mm-hmm. man you are today. And I was really excited to get into this with you because I meet so few men that have so fully committed to the process of personal transformation to the point where they're willing to go within themselves and release what holds them back. And it sounds like mm-hmm. life gave you, the, well, I, I want to say like an open door, like you walked in the door, it also propelled you in that direction by your own, by mm-hmm. your own nature, by your conscience and your, your compulsion to do the right thing. But then you followed it further, further, you followed it to the, not to the end of the road, because the road doesn't end, but you followed mm-hmm. it through your transformation to the point where you know, I looked at that picture of you in the article. We, we'll we'll get into all this, obviously. The picture, and you look like a completely different guy in that photo from the article versus the guy you are now. And it's not just the haircut; like your face mm-hmm. is substantially different. I wonder if you could sort of just give an overview of that story, and then we'll dig into some of the details along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I know I only sent you two articles, but you just painted such a beautiful picture of really how that fundamental transformation occurred within inside myself. So um, I'll get into it a little bit and just kind of explain exactly what we're talking about here. So in 2015, the anniversary of this event was actually March 26, 2015. So that was just a couple of days ago was the six year anniversary of this happening. And Mm. so what happened was um, I was walking down the street uh, I was headed to the gym that day and I decided to take a different route because I wanted to go and grab something to eat. And I don't normally take this route, but for whatever reason, um, I did that day. And as I was walking down this street, I started hearing uh, a woman screaming from a townhouse. And so I stopped for a few minutes and just to kind of assess the situation, see what was going on. Because at first I thought this was maybe like a domestic dispute or a couple's argument or something like that. But it regardless, it didn't sound good. So I just kind of stood by for a minute to make sure that everything was going to be okay. Um, But then amidst this scuffle and screaming, I heard the words help. And so I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. something's not right here. So the door was actually already open at this time. And so I ran inside. And um, when I ran inside, uh, this woman was being sexually assaulted uh, with a knife to her throat. Mm. And so Jesus. what had actually occurred was this man um, had been knocking on doors, posing as a person who was looking for donations um, for some 
charitable organization that he had made up. And so what happened was he walked in the house and he was carrying a razor sharp rock behind his back. And so he entered the house, explained why he was there, and then assaulted the woman in the face with the rock multiple times. Mm. And so this was how this started. And then she was, I guess, restrained for up to an hour while this assault occurred. And so she managed to get free and run up the stairs. And so that was basically where I came in while this was happening. And I just ran over and started wailing on this guy. Mm. And it was just completely instinctual. Um, My adrenaline just, you know, it spiked like a drug. And I went into a bit of a tunnel vision and just acted you know, all of my fear and, and rational, rational mind was out the door at that point. And it was just pure instinct. And so, um, I had, uh, I had knocked him unconscious for a few seconds and then dragged him outside onto the grass. And then a bunch of neighbors, um, as I was screaming for help came over and helped hold him down. And then it just so happened at that time, some police officers were driving down the road and some other neighbors ran over and signaled them over and uh, he was put into custody. Um, but you know, this was, there was more details that I won't get into cause it's just very gruesome. Mm. Um, but that was just very, very, that changed. It, it really just, it changed my perspective on humanity. Mm-hmm. And because of this, and just the things that I saw and the things that, you know, it, it haunted me for a few years. And so I had kind of spiraled after all of the excitement had wound down. And, you know, like just to share a little bit about that, like this was one of the most violent sexual assaults in the history of our province. And it was all over the news. And, and you know, there was hundreds of people pouring out their appreciation for me and, and all of these other things. And I just, I didn't want anything to do with it because, you know, what they were seeing as a, as, as a miracle that someone could stumble upon this and save the woman. And now this man is actually going to be in jail for the rest of his life, which is so rare when it comes to these types of sexual assault cases, usually you never even find the guy. Um, mm. But so he's going to be, he got actually the dangerous, um, uh, he was he was dubbed by the courts a da- dangerous offender's status. So he will never actually be able to leave prison, which was amazingly positive that that happened. Um, but like I said, this, this just, this trauma affected me for, a number of years. And so I, I kind of spiraled into a bit of a depression and, um, all the other aspects of my life just started to kind of fall apart as a result. Um, because I didn't actually realize I was dealing, uh, with post-traumatic stress disorder and that went unaddressed for, for a number of years. And so I just kind of hit rock bottom after a while. And I, I woke up one day and had just decided that this was enough and I was going to dedicate my life to solving this problem. And so it's been a very long process of, you know, shedding that 
darkness and that weight that I experienced that day. Um, but because of this, and I just, I've described this in this way before, you know, there was this sort of spiritual aspect to it. Kind of like I explained to you when we were talking back and forth about the snake bite, the shaman must receive the snake bite voluntarily and then go through the pain and the suffering in order to find the antidote and cure himself so that he can learn to help other people. And that's really where I've decided to dedicate my efforts is, is, is developing myself and documenting the process and sharing what I've found in hopes that it might inspire other people to put their life in order because it really is possible to do this no matter how terrible your situation is um, because I've done it and, and I'm still doing it. And you know, that, that process never ends. And I think that's one thing that people don't realize is that that process really does never end that process of self-creation and, and, and reimagining yourself as you reach new plateaus is a never ending cycle. And so I just, I really started just sharing that on social media and it started to, it started to resonate with some people. When I realized it resonated with some people, I started to just really work at better articulating myself and really figuring out what I really thought, figuring out what were my ideas, what were other people's ideas and and what was just bullshit that I was regurgitating. And so that's been a process in itself. Um, and it's it's taken on new forms over the last couple of years. But, you know, like I said, you know, I get messages all of the time from people, you know, saying like, hey, like I just, I really needed to hear that today. And that's, if one person gains something from what I've learned through really just facing my demons and and walking through the fire is if that helps one person, then great. You know, that's, that's all I needed. And so that's, that's become a driving purpose in my life. And that's why I share so many of these inspiring guests on my podcast, because, you know, they're fuel for me. Mm -hmm. And then if they're giving me fuel, then I can show up to be my best and I can give fuel to other people. And you don't have to have a gigantic platform to do that. You know, you can even just start within your own family. You know, so many people have these unresolved issues, unresolved problems in their family relationships. You know, maybe there's an aspect of yourself that you don't like that causes you a lot of friction, you know, with your partner or your parents or whatever, um, or, or maybe you really do have a mental illness that you're struggling with. And especially if you have a mental illness that you're struggling with, you know, one thing that they will teach you in counseling is that really the, the most effective cure for any fear is to face it voluntarily. Mm -hmm. You know, like I had a bit of hypervigilance after this, um, after this event, 
for a couple of years. And I, I couldn't really figure out what that was or why that was happening. But it wasn't so much that I was fearful for myself because I felt I'm perfectly capable, but I had a fear of other people in my care being in danger. Mm. And so I had developed a little bit of an obsessive compulsive habit of locking the door. You know, I would, so I'd lock the door, I'd go to bed, and then I would check the door again, and then I'd go mm-hmm. back. And I might do this three or four times, thinking that I'd forgotten to lock the door, but really it was just an anxious habit. Mm-hmm. But the way that I stopped doing that was I stopped checking the door. Mm-hmm. I put myself at risk, trusting that my instincts will serve me the way they served me that day. And I, I, don't, I don't have any obsessive compulsions anymore about door locks. Mm-hmm. You know, And I don't look over my shoulder every time that I'm walking down the street or if I'm with my girlfriend or, um, or anything like that because you know, you, you, when you face your fears voluntarily and overcome them, you realize that you can apply that to almost every fear and every aspect of your life and overcome them. And so my whole identity, and if you want to call it a personal brand or whatever it is, has just been, I want to be the person who can carry the weight. You know, like so many people are so burdened by all of these things in their lives, Mm -hmm. but it's something to be proud of, to be that guy who carries the weight of the world on his shoulders. You had a tweet about that, that I think I retweeted today, which was, you know, I think it's, I'm going to, I'll, I'll, if you can, if you can remember the tweet, what you said, I'll let you recall it, or I can paraphrase it, whichever. Go, go ahead and paraphrase it. Yeah. I don't, I don't have it in front of me that one, but yeah, I mean, you said that, uh, men don't fight against the world men gratefully take on the weight of the world and carry it. And mm-hmm. I thought, and I thought that was, Oh, right. It was meant or it was, yeah. Something about the masculine spirit isn't at war with the world. It carries the world on its shoulders. There you go. That's exactly yeah. it. And that's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And it, and it is, and it is like that. And I think a lot of people who are suffering, they project that suffering onto the world. You know, and it's like that in politics very much. I think I made a post about that earlier today. You know, don't poison the well. Mm. You know, don't project all of the things unaddressed in your life onto other people. You know, like more destruction right. will not make things better. You know, it's it's you know bearing bearing the cross. You know, that's that's really what you can what you can gain from from Christianity, if anything, is voluntarily bearing the burden of being. You yes. Know? Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, Jordan Peterson gets into that, and, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, this this notion of bearing the responsibility of being, of transformation and of redemption, which is essentially what you're talking about. Well, that's what I hear and what you're saying anyway, mm-hmm. is one of the most beautiful aspects of being alive. This idea that you can have something so terrible happen to you and to this and to this woman, unfortunately. And and you know, to be clear, like if I could snap my fingers and make that whole event not happen, I would. Mm-hmm. I would. And I'm sure you would do the same. But regardless, mm-hmm. like it wasn't in your power in that moment to snap your fingers and make the whole thing go away. You had to go, you know, walking. I just want to honor you for that, by the way, that, that, well, thank you. You know, that's, that's, that's a really, well, thank you. It's a really incredible thing that, that you had the courage 
to go running in through a cracked open door through to cries of help when it's i mean there's scientific studies that demonstrate that people will not go to will not respond to the cries of help in cities like they do mm-hmm. they do these studies where someone will be screaming help and people will just walk and pretend like they're not hearing it and it sounds like you know you you did the right thing you listened to check out like is this something that i should intervene in you know so you didn't have like sort of a white knight i will fix this kind of attitude which could be equally dangerous you're walking into a situation that you know you're probably you probably shouldn't be into i mean you know i can imagine some scenarios you checked it out you you were thoughtful you were there with your total presence to make sure and then mm-hmm. when it was really clear that what what the right thing to do was you acted it sounds like without hesitation and surrendering to your most uh your most needed violent impulses. Like Mm -hmm. that's, I honor that because that's exactly the sort of thing that we need in this world is men who are willing and capable to do, to act with both, I guess the, the mind of a man and the savage, the savagery of a beast when needed. And you did that, Mm -hmm. you know? And, And like, so I think that's incredibly powerful and a real testament to you in a way that you probably didn't even know yourself at the time. I absolutely. And I mean, like you don't, (laughs) <laughs> you don't know how you're going to react in that situation. You know, after yeah. that happened, you know, there's all these news articles came out and, you know, there's there's a few videos um, that went up on Facebook and stuff like that. You know, I read some of the comments all, and it's just, it's funny the, the what is it? It's funny the fantasies that people have about themselves when they're completely removed from a situation, right? you know, like you read these comments, you're just like, well, I would have done this. And well, why didn't he kill him and all these other things? And it's like, <laughs> right. 99.9% of people would have called the police. And maybe that would have been the smartest thing to do in that situation if you weren't capable. But for whatever reason, you know, my instinct was to act, you know, it's the fight or flight response. And, and maybe that's, that is a part of, at that point, maybe I had developed my capabilities at least up to that point where my unconscious nature felt that I was capable of that. And, or maybe that is just something that some, some people have, but you know, it, it's, I still can't even fully explain that because it it just felt like such a, um, while it was such a dark experience, it was such a transcendental experience experience like it it felt like there was some guiding hand that placed me that there that day and the things that have followed have just been you know like an incredible series of events and you know even with that being said because i don't like to focus on the negative anymore you know like i i think about that and while that was so horrific for that woman and you know pretty traumatic for myself to just to see what i saw you know, the amazing thing about that as well is that woman, I, I, I have spoken to her several times. I have her on social media and she also conquered Mm. that situation. Like she made a post the other day saying, I have never looked back. I have never had a flashback. I won that day with my teammate Bronson. She made this post and, you know, like she was victorious. And so I was like, okay, well, that's even inspiring for, for me. It's like, I have to treat this as a victory. But at the same time, you know, there's, y- you have to focus on the good that comes from these things. Because even if you, like, this was one thing I, I'll, I'll mention was my roommate at the time encouraged me to talk to the news because I was refusing to talk to the news. Mm. And 
because I just, I, I'm, I'm not someone that likes for a musician. I'm not, it's surprising that I'm not someone that really likes to be the center of attention. And so when this was all happening, he was like, people need to hear this story. There are so many scenarios like this that either go unsolved or the guy had a mask on or a hood and he got away or it was a family member and they found out decades later and now he's dead and there's no justice. Mm -hmm. It's like people need to hear that there are people out there who are willing to act. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was the reason I did end up inevitably talking to the news. And, you know, it's like, I think that gives people hope for humanity. And and it even gave me hope for humanity because if that's buried down in there within me somewhere in the core of my being to want to protect my community, you know, in the in the very in my very genes as a, you know, primitive man, that's also in other people. And you know, so it's just it was just, it's just been a very crazy experience. And I think the crazy thing is that over the last couple of years, a lot of people would be surprised by this, but I'm, I'm so sad that it happened to had to happen to that woman, mm-hmm. but I'm grateful that I was the one who was there and not somebody else mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of what this chain of events has done to really just transform my life. You know, maybe this never happened. and. I would have just coasted through the, through the next few years and and maybe I still wouldn't have been unhappy. Maybe this wasn't maybe this was the catalyst in order to catapult me into some greater good that I now get to explore as a person having been squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and squeezed till I pop and this higher version of myself is forced to climb out. Oh man, I don't think there's any maybe about it. I think that's exactly what happened. I mean, there was life presented you with an open door and you you leapt into it. You jumped into you ran through it. And I think so many times, maybe not to that degree in our lives, do we get the opportunity to run through an open door like that. And maybe it doesn't show up in that way, but it showed up in a way appropriate for you. And I think it shows up in ways appropriate for all of us at various points in our lives. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe not, maybe it's not an encounter with actual physical violence, you know, with, in, in that very traumatic and visceral way. But certainly there are opportunities that we all face to, to take leaps that are unfamiliar and we either take them or don't. And some, mm-hmm. some aspect of ourselves calls us to step up to the moment. And I just, you know, I, I just want to, you said this was the event that that changed your life. I also want to acknowledge, and that that is true. It is the it was a turning point event. But you know, I want to make sure that that I highlight the way that I see it, which is you changed your life following that event. Like that event mm-hmm. didn't didn't work some magic on you. Like it actually it woke you up to things. Like you said, it squeezed you, and then mm-hmm. you could have had the choice to to handle that any number of ways, just like the, this woman could have handled it any number of ways. Like you could have said, what's going on with me? I feel like I'm going crazy. And you could have turned mm-hmm. to alcohol or drugs or antidepressants or tried to suppress it, or you could have totally freaked out. But instead you, you know, you, you decided to really go with it, to follow that energy flow where it took you and sort it out with, I guess, what I might imagine would be intention or, or curiosity mm-hmm. or 
frustration. Like I got no idea what's going on with me. Help. You know, like these mm-hmm. are like, the, it seems like this is the way. And it sounds like that's what happened for this woman is that she recognized that she could have built a, a shrine to that event. And probably in some ways as one of the most violent, you know, sexual assaults in the province, like she, she mm-hmm. may not have necessarily been entirely wrong for, for allowing that to, to affect her in this way. But she decided like you did that mm-hmm. she was going to transform herself as a result. And that's the, that's the important part. It's like, it's not always necessarily what happens to us, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's what we choose consciously to do with it until we make it through to the other side and, and, and no one can lead us through that. That's the hero's journey, right? You said in the underworld and it's like, you don't quit in the middle of the hero's journey because you don't want to get <laughs> stuck down there. Right. So, so all Precisely. these things, are, all these things are true. So, so what was it? So, okay. So here's, here's. Bronson walking down the street, hears cries for help, goes rushing in, you know, taps into this inner inner animal and and knocks the guy out or drag drags him out on the street. And okay. Mm-hmm. So then you begin having anxiety, obsessive, compulsive kind of feelings. And and what was your what was your thought then? Because I think this is so important for men to hear mm-hmm. to understand that we all have experiences of trauma in our lives, whether it be from that's part, it's part of the ticket. You buy the ticket for coming to earth. Trauma is included on the fine print on the, you will experience trauma <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it. Maybe Absolutely. not. Yeah. Maybe not always as, yeah, exactly. Maybe not always as an adult, but as a child, certainly. But yeah, so you, nobody you, leaves childhood unscathed. Not have, a single person leaves yeah. childhood unscathed by their parents, their parents' projections and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's, you really hit, like I hit, I hit a certain point where I was, I was feeling so, so depressed and I wasn't feeling, you know, it's, I mean, you can call it a rock bottom, but it was just enough for me. Right. And, and so I, you realize it's like, okay, you have two choices you can inevitably, you know, end up in such a dark place because it just keeps going in whatever direction that you're going. Like it really does, like I feel like mental health issues really do do um, gain momentum in which, whichever direction that you take it, whether it be negative or positive. And so if you spend so much time in that dark place, eventually it will just envelop you and take you and maybe you'll take your life or something. But I really mm-hmm. just, I... This is the one the, to answer your question. The one thing to remember is nobody's going to save you. That's right. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody can fix this problem for you. This is this is a this is this is a a devil inside you that you have to rip out and extract, and you will probably wrestle with and battle with, and eventually, you know, if you can wear that that monster down you can defeat it. And so that was really just what I decided to do. It's like, you know, you just, you really have to be your own hero for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. Because like I said, nobody's going to do that for you. There's a lot of avenues you can take to get help in order to at least get in a, in a stable position in your life where you can actually address those problems and face them and, and, and make something out of it. But Ultimately, like you really have to want so badly to be more than you are, really. You're not, and you can't be, you can't continue to be defined by that darkness. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. another problem is people define their lives by the most terrible things that have ever happened in their lives rather than reaching for a higher good and redefining their life 
by pursuing meaning and and that's what i started to do you know it was it was a very rocky road you know like i and like everybody else i was not a clean slate before this happened right you know right. it's not like i was just like well you know there's this strong valiant hero riding in on a horse and then he <laughs> had a traumatic event and he was sad for a few weeks then he's like i'm just going to pull up my bootstraps and everything's <laughs> going to be be back to normal like no that was that was not it like i i was already struggling with my own issues at that time. You know, I was pretty young when that happened. Um, you know, I was whatever, 20, 25 years old or whatever, hadn't quite established myself where I had structure in my life. I was still very much pursuing my music and with the pursuit of music comes a lot of other downsides. Mm, yeah. And, um, you know, you make sacrifices for that, whether it be financially or places that you're living in to tour or whatever. And so without those other stabilities in my life. I just crashed. And so I had to find meaning in my life again. And so that's what this pursuit of meaning has been all about. And um, I think that that is what sustains you as a person and allows you to be a person who can carry heavy things. You know, a couple years ago, if if I had have been thrown one more curveball, like that would have just crushed me. Mm-hmm. But now, with all of the things that I'm pursuing and and this new zest for life and the fact that I'm just chasing towards things that are better and I can actually see the sun in the sky and see the pie in the sky, whatever it is that you want to chase, um, that just gives you so much momentum and power to plow through the things that are hard. Mm-hmm. You know, this past year, um, my partner's mother ended up in the ICU for three weeks in a coma and almost mm-hmm. died from coronavirus. Jeez. You know, my grandmother passed away from cancer. A friend of ours uh, back in November, you know, I end up searching for three days for him. We find out that he had actually taken his own life. Oh, God. And I'm not saying these things to be like, oh, poor me, you have all of these tragedies in your life. It's like, I'm not special. Everybody experiences these tragedies. But who do you want to show up as when these things happen? Do you, you you know, and it's just, I, I, now I take pride in the fact that because I've, 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 I've walked through my own hell and I faced those demons and I've moved past them and defeated them. You know, it's like I can now bear some extra weight. Like I can be there for other people and show up when, you know, for my partner or show up for my best friend with it, with this situation that happened with his brother this year or whatever else. And it's like, that's really what it's about. Like, how do you want to show up in the world? Mm-hmm. And I just, I want to tie this back and, and then and dig into what you're saying, but I want to tie this back for the men who are listening, that this is not separate from the self-creation process. This notion of, of inner transformation, of addressing what's going on with you and showing up in the world and having more capacity to really deal with hard things like life and death things, right? That is not independent from the self-creation process because in the process of creating yourself and transforming yourself, you naturally, it's like working out. You transform your body and you get physically stronger. You can carry more. Like it's it's an, it's a metaphor, but it's also not a metaphor. You know, strong people carry heavy things. That's right. That is yeah, absolutely well said. And it's not just it's not just physically strong people carry physically heavy things. 
it's that you know mentally strong people emotionally strong people spiritually strong people and physically if you can integrate all of those together the weights that you can carry are immense both in terms of dealing with tragedy in terms of when when something really in life goes wrong someone's in the hospital someone's died i'm very sorry to hear about your friend by the way that's uh, that's uh, that, that's i have some experience with that in my life so i, I just wanted to acknowledge that um, no I, I appreciate that yeah so when you when you have the ability to to carry yourself and others through tragic situations across the river shall we say there's power in that but it also enables you as an individual to carry the weight of your own dreams and the mm-hmm. more the more you can carry in terms of in terms of your your capacity in the ways that we're talking about the bigger dreams you can imagine and the more that you believe in your own ability to accomplish them so uh, you know and as we're ta- we were talking about your music as well this has got to this had to have fed into your music which mm-hmm. in, in, in all sorts of incredible ways that maybe you wouldn't have expected like the ability to to be heavy inside yourself and to mm-hmm. be able to communicate that through your music all these pieces are fitting together yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you just, you just, that transition into your description of being able to carry your dreams is so beautiful. I've never heard anything described that way, but it's so perfect because they're, it's synonymous with success. Yeah. Like there is, I, I can't think of a person that I look up to that I'm inspired by that, that had a cakewalk of a life. <laughs> They right. all have this horrific life story, you know? It's always born into poverty or an abusive father or, you know, it's a single mother household or, you know, there's just some horrific tragedy. And like that is so many people's story. But what story do you want to tell? Do you want to, do you want to tell the, 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 the miserable story that just cuts you off halfway through and there's no resolution and you're mm-hmm. like, what the hell happens in the next episode? Is it just bad the whole way? <laughs> you know? Or do you do you want to tell the success story? Do you want to, you know, that's what makes stories inspiring. It's the transformation from from uh, uh, the transformation of triumph over adversity but like you know i i had told you this before like i had told this story on one other podcast and that podcast is no longer live because they they stopped doing the podcast but even at that time like i didn't feel like the story was complete yet and mm-hmm. it's still not complete but mm-hmm. i feel like it's complete enough to tell mm-hmm. because there needs to be an aspect of overcoming and triumph Absolutely, and, and you know, like, what story would you want to hear if you had to tell the story of your life? You know, and it's even like with you have to do what, we, what you were saying with dreams. You know, even just being able to carry the weight of your own self doubt through mm-hmm. over the coals. You know, like how difficult is it sometimes to just wrestle with your own self doubt, but pick it up and move forward with that pursuit, you know, like, but that's all learned through, through, through willpower and the building of willpower. And, and you can start that in any way, really. For me, it was physical pursuits. That's how I built my willpower was through physical pursuits. And I think, I think training and, and physical fitness actually led to higher thinking for me because I was able to apply that to other aspects of my life. But like you were saying, um, you know, it's, 
what, what, what story do you want to tell? Mm. You know, I, you know, when you were saying all that, I thought of one of my favorite quotes of all time is by this author, Khalil Gibran, who wrote a book called the prophet, which is a marvelous book. It's just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful work of art where it's sort of a, a sort of a, a series of, of poems that kind of have this narrative structure where a, uh, a, a Jesus-like figure, if not it's meant to be Jesus himself, they just call him the prophet, mm-hmm. delivers a series of discourses on various topics to a crowd in basically in the form of poetry. Um, and, and it's just a, the sentiments expressed in this book are gorgeous and timeless, and the way they're expressed are, are filled with so much lovingness and warmth. And so one of the quotes by this author is named again, Khalil Gibran. I'll provide a link in the show notes to the prophet. But the quote is, out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls. The most massive characters are seared with scars. Mm. I love that quote because it's so true, but it's not seared with wounds. It's seared, mm-hmm. it's seared with scars. Like it's healed up. Wounds are open. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and I think one of the things that's so tragic nowadays about uh, social media in particular, because we've touched on this topic a little bit, is that people are celebrating their open wounds and mm-hmm. it, it doesn't make you stronger. It actually, unless you put in the effort, you know, what you experienced in that moment running into that house was created this open wound in you. And so mm-hmm. you had to you had to undergo not physically obviously but you had to undergo this process to 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 treat the wound and seal the wound up and bandage it and heal and now you have a scar and that has made you into a massive character so to speak. Mm-hmm. And the and the, the other thing that I want to touch on and feel free to jump in at any point you know sure. this yeah, yeah. is that there's the weight of you talk about the the bearing the weight of self-doubt like in pursuit of your dreams but when you any great dream becomes collaborative. I mean, I suppose, mm-hmm. I suppose painting is, is a solitary enough pursuit or writing or something like that, but certainly making music at, at you know, with a band is a, is a collaborative pursuit and music videos mm-hmm. and creating this aesthetic universe. So if you want to lead in that, you have to not only carry your own doubt, you have to carry the doubt of everybody else mm-hmm. and, and bear that. And that's the sort of thing that becomes, that's a, that becomes a superpower. You know, when you can be the guy or girl who's like, no, I'm going to carry the doubt. Oh, like a CEO of a company is carrying the doubts of thousands of people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Leading into a new endeavor or a startup or something like that. And these things are so easily overlooked because they're all around us, but we don't really actually mm-hmm. take a look and see what that is until we're forced into a situation where we have to carry our own dreams. Oh, no, a- absolutely. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that too, because one of the catalysts in order for me to start shifting my thinking was directly related to my music. And it, mm. it was actually because my relationships and my band were becoming hostile because I was not showing up f- for those sessions and as a friend the way that I should have. And it was almost getting to the inevitability of me having to be kicked out of my own band that oh. I created. Wow. But because I had that lifeline, you know, that thing that I cared so much about that gave me this deep fulfillment and, and allowed me to create and allowed me to escape even when I needed to and, and be somebody else, you know, be some character that I'd created in these songs, you know, that, that was a big turning point for me. And it's, it has very much 
transferred over to my music, but in a very different way. Like if you listen to some of the earlier music that I was making, it was so angry, Mm. so aggressive. I just wanted to embody evil and Mm. all of these other things. But the music that I create now is very ethereal and spiritual and triumphant and all encompassing and it's heavy, but it's like, heavy towards the heavens you know heavy like <laughs> heavy like zeus you know not heavy it. like satan you know yeah. yeah yeah that's and 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 it and it's and that's what i want to that's what i want want to do you know it's like i think darkness creates some of the greatest art but like light can create some absolutely beautiful art too and and you can still embody that heaviness as a person but you you're, you're channeling it in a more productive way and you can channel that in other, other aspects of your life too. You know, it's like, I don't need to necessarily be this tactical dude all of the time who is just constantly looking for danger and, and can't relax until danger arrives. And then I can fulfill my purpose. It's like, I can be capable of violence, Mm -hmm. but I can also be very helpful and pleasant to be around. And I think with a lot of the discussions that happen in this masculine sphere of conversation and is that, which is why I really resonate with your podcast and your message um, and other guys like, you know, Jack, the way he's taken everything with this stay solar um, slogan and, and solar idealism and amongst other men, um, online that I follow is I see more and more people that are good at being men, but they're exercising that other half where they're also trying to be good men. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the part that is sometimes incomplete, um, with, with certain groups of men where they get very good at, at securing the space. Like we mentioned uh, in my podcast with Jack, but then they don't do anything with it. They don't do yeah. anything for the greater good or for their community or for their friends and their loved ones. Yep. I say, I cite the distinction. More shout outs to Jack Donovan, by the way. <laughs> no, this is... <laughs> no, you know, honestly, like the dude, the dude deserves it. The dude that, I mean, really, like I cite the distinction between being a good man and being good at being a man. I cite that almost daily. Like mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's as, it's as timeless and as important as the four tactical virtues, you know, mm-hmm. strength, courage, mastery, and honor. Like that's the bedrock foundation of what he's built his entire aesthetic universe around. But that fundamental distinction between, yes, you can be a good man and the definitions of what it means to be a good man have changed throughout the ages. And mm-hmm. the def- definitions of what it means to be good at being a man have stayed relatively the same, plus, you know, around 80%, mm-hmm. if not more, right? But you're right in this, in the sphere of, of uh, personal development of the Renaissance, as I call it, in the era leading up to now, uh, over I will say over the past say five to ten years, I might have to think, but it's it's at least that long. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of focus on in some areas of it of being good at being a man, and now mm-hmm. it's like okay, but yes, because men have been good men for a long time. So okay, so now we need to get more savage, you know, civilization versus savagery, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's like okay, so there's a big push towards savagery. Great. You've gotten there. Now mm-hmm. you still have to go back to civilization. You still have to keep balancing these 
these, you know, as if liquids in a, in a glass, mm-hmm. you know, like 50-50 trying to get them balanced out. It's not just enough to become savage and, as you say, secure the space. You still have to, and again, w- let's start shouting out Fire in the Dark because I think this is a book mm-hmm. that every man should read. Every man should read. You can't just be the striker. You have to be the Lord of the Earth. You have mm-hmm. to be generative and you have to cultivate your relationships and love and emotion. It's not enough to just be the warrior in light and dark or the sky father. Like you have to have gener- you have to generate life around you. And that's mm-hmm. not done with it. That's not done with a hammer or a sword. That's done no. with that's done with a heart. And I, there's so much of that get, that gets lost because men aren't, and this cuts this again for me, this touches on the trauma issue again. Men are afraid to go into the parts of themselves that hurt and discover their pain and release mm-hmm. it and, dis- and and liberate their ability to feel deeply. And, mm-hmm. and so I think all these things are connected. Oh, absolutely. It's, and it's, you know, I initially made my way into this space because I was also angry. Mm. And maybe that's maybe that's a viable place to start because it gives you that fire to want to change and to want to be better and to want to stake your claim and and state what you believe and embody what you believe. But, you know, you're not going to have much of an effect on the world if you just run away to a cabin in the woods and work out for mm-hmm. the rest of your life alone. Right. Right. You know, like if you want to have any kind of impact, positive impact, at least on the world or or within your own community, you do have to return to the modern world and find a, find a way to integrate those, those aspects of masculinity that are good in a way that helps other people. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've, I've made a post about this today and I, I've posted about it a couple of times in the last few weeks because it's just been something I've been thinking about a lot. But, you know, your philosophies, if you want other people to share your philosophy on life, it should also make life better for other people, mm-hmm. right? And there's a lot of people I find in the masculine space that make life much better for them, but they're very unpleasant to be around. <laughs> and maybe they're very good at what they do, but maybe I wouldn't want to introduce them to my family right. if they ever got that close to my inner circle, you know, because they, it's just, you know, there's, there's a bit of that that goes around and um, it, it just comes back to that, like cliche, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world, but you know, it's a pretty good cliche, yeah. you know, it, it is, it is, it, it is just, it is being a fully, fully realized man is having all of these aspects of yourself come together as someone that can be both useful and helpful. Mm-hmm. Well said, well said. And, and, and the reason why in my experience to do that is not for external ego validation reasons, right? Mm. The reason why you do that, why I do that, why I put my time, energy, and, and money into creating that in myself is that it creates such a fantastically, fantastically fulfilling way of being in my daily mm. life. Like I tweeted a couple of weeks ago and I meant it. I love being me. 
And not in any mm -hmm. like I'm better than you kind of way, but I enjoy the experience of being myself, going through life and watching my mind and the way that I re react and respond to circumstances in my own inner dialogue in my apartment, living alone. Like I'm just quite comfortable in my own space, appreciating reality as it comes to me. And that's as a mm -hmm. result of work because I work to balance these aspects of myself and I can show up in this way at the gym or I can show up in this way in my relationships or I can show up this way in my dreams and all these, and not like in my sleeping dreams, but the dreams that I'm pursuing in my life. Mm -hmm. And like, that's fulfilled living. And it's not mm -hmm. because I have anyone outside me, you know, saying, Will, you're amazing for anything. People say very nice things to me all the time. And I'm very grateful for those, for those things. And those are wonderful, but they're not the reason to do it. The reason to do it is because I'm so happy being me. It's just mm -hmm. a satisfying way of existing. And it's not impossible to live that way. You don't have to go meditate on a mountaintop, you know, to achieve enlightenment. You can mm -hmm. achieve it here, like on the ground. You just have to be willing to to do the things that you're afraid of of doing of of going of going inside and finding out you know you came in because you were angry into this into this sphere i came in because i was the opposite because i was too soft and i knew something mm. was not balanced in me it's like there's right. something missing and as soon as i first heard that there was some organization which for me was the mankind project uh, which was another podcast i did with boyce and hodgson the, the the communications director and i talk about this organization all the time as soon as I found out that there was an organization that did initiations for men, I'm like, that sounds like something that I would mm -hmm. do. I felt this very strong call to go in that direction. It took me a couple of years to do it, but that was my entryway in because I knew that something in me was lacking. And mm -hmm. that, you know, and I think this is the this is I, I say this over and over again. This is the predicament of men: is you have men are broken in half. You have you have the sensitive guys and you have the the tough guys, and it's like those are not two different species of men. You know, mm -hmm. those are those, those that's one man who's essentially been broken in half. And what we're talking about is about knitting the halves of ourselves back together. Like you're talking about how you would be good at securing the space in a way and you had to learn to discover your more deep feeling side. I had the deep feeling side and I had to learn how to secure the space. Mm -hmm. These are all expressions of, of the masculine that they're work that we're working to integrate. But I find very few people who who talk like that pat steadman would be would be one of them and and i've mm -hmm. had some conversation with tanner guzzi around that as well because he integrates himself in that way but so many men focus on just one of those themes and very few of them are able to balance in themselves the notion of both oh absolutely and i think just to make an observation i think maybe and correct me if I'm wrong, one of the reasons that you've been enjoying being you is because you do things that make you like yourself. <laughs> that is true. Like, why do you like other people? It's because they do things that you like. Yeah. So true. if you want to like yourself, you have to do things that you like and that you respect. You know, you want other people to honor you. Most people don't honor themselves. You want other people to show up on time, but you don't even show up on time for yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh, you yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. Well said. Well said. It's 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 as simple as that 5 a.m. wake up call. If you tell me that you're going to be at my house at 5 a.m. and you show up at 6.30, I'm not going to like you very much. I'm probably going to be pretty upset with you because you made me wait. And then you, you pushed off the rest of my goals for the yeah. day. Well, that's what most people do to themselves every single day. And that's why they are not happy living their life as themselves. They don't do things that make them like themselves. That's so awesome. That's so great. Like this notion of your relationship with yourself is essentially expressed by 
well, almost every choice you make, I would say in some, if, if I were to think it through that, I, that's definitely not, not true. Like how mm-hmm. you show up and, and, you know, right down to the food you eat and the water you drink and how much sleep you get in your environment is, is, I mean, it's all going to be, everything you do is going to be a relationship with yourself because you're not going to do anything that isn't around yourself ever. Cause you're always around yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. I mean, people are so good at taking care of their pets. <laughs> like if you just took care of yourself the way you took care of your pet, like you were going to be living the life of your dreams. You know, like mm. people go and they study all of the best dog food to feed their dogs, find out what they're allergic to. You know, they take them on daily exercise two, three, four, five times a day. Sometimes they'll take their pets out. You know, they give them a lot of love and affection and attention. And, and um, you know, it's, it's just but but people couldn't be bothered to find out how to train themselves. You know, you, you can teach a dog to do a trick, but you can't spend the time and invest in yourself to go and, and you know, maybe join a boxing gym, mm-hmm. something maybe you've never done before, learn a new skill and get in better shape and get healthier or find out what diet you're actually supposed to be on, you know? So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just, it's funny the choices that we're willing to, that, that we're willing to put off for ourselves, but we'll do for other things and other people. And it's so weird because you spend the most time, like you said, with yourself. Wouldn't you want this, this person to be your favorite person if you're going to be spending all that time with them? Absolutely. And this, this notion of people taking better care of their pets than they do with themselves is literally an entire chapter of Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules for Life. I just remember. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I mean, I've got it sitting behind me and I can go flipping through it and find it. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that that's a, it's not in his new book, but I'm fairly certain it's in that book where he gets, he gives in a whole riff off of that. Like, right. And yeah. But you know, take care of yourself. As I think your, he does a bit about a cat and about cats and dogs. Like I, 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 I'm not, I haven't gotten quite through the new book yet, but he did do a bit on like the difference between cats and dogs and he talks about that a little bit but yeah it's just it's it's really interesting to me that people don't think very much of themselves and so they don't ask very much of themselves and it's I mean I think that's actually quite common and maybe that's just the human condition I'm not really sure Hmm. but it seems like people have this 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 tendency to lean towards t- towards self-destruction versus self-creation. And I'm not really sure why that is because self-destructive behavior just creates such misery and you don't actually have to live that way. Nobody does. Well, I, th- I think that we're not, by the way, the, the, the chapter of the book is, um, which I just, I, in Jordan Peterson's book is rule number, it's rule number two of the book, 12 Rules for Life. Treat treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. And on mm. page on page thirty three, um, I just because I had to look, it is difficult to conclude anything from this set of facts as a whole paragraph, except that people appear to love their dogs, cats, ferrets, and birds, and maybe even their lizards more than themselves. How horrible <laughs> is that? How much shame must exist for something like that to be true? What could it be about people that makes them prefer their pets to themselves? Like, so now, now Jordan Peterson's in the room. We've got Jack Donovan and Jordan Peterson hanging out with us. This is awesome. I mean, these are probably all thoughts that have been sparked, sparked information, inspiration from these guys at some point, but I've just read, read their work so much that it's just in there now in the fabric of my belief. Exactly. But, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's, I mean, 
ultimately what it comes down to is is observing that these problems exist, which most people are not willing to do, and then taking effective action towards transforming them into something positive and accepting the fact that it will be in a, a rocky road. People mm-hmm. get defeated so quickly, but you know, if you were to look at a graph, you're going to see that it's up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, but it is always in an upward trajectory. So, mm-hmm. and I, we were talking about what creates this feeling where um, people care for their pets more than their, themselves. And, and, and the thought I had around that was maybe it's that, and maybe it has something to do with parenting. Like maybe particularly in men, I, I don't know if it's true for women. It might be, it probably is mm. uh, around the relationship with their father. Like did your, mm-hmm. did your father create what I call positive structure? Meaning like, educating sons and daughters in the proper way to go about their their daily tasks like i think it's around somewhere like age five or seven or something like that Mm -hmm. where a child begins to have a sense of itself as a social creature and begin to have larger responsibilities out in the world to you know relative to its capacity Mm -hmm. Um, and i think the father has a lot to do with that does the father model a way for the child to relate to his or her own responsibilities towards caring for everything around it and therefore it's, I say it, it so I don't have to say his or her, you know, it's mm-hmm. obviously the child is gendered in, in some way. So, <laughs> so just, we can, we can use, use gendered pronouns in okay, this okay. conversation. Yeah, no, it's, okay. He, so we'll go, we'll go with he, right? You're right. That's a good, that's a good idea. Uh, so, so teach the, well, let's go with son because we're a couple of sons here talking. Mm-hmm. So teach the son how to relate to himself in such a way and his responsibilities in such a way that respond like takes responsibility for himself and recognizes Mm. that his responsibilities in the outer world are not separate from his responsibilities to himself and i call that positive structure as opposed Mm -hmm. to negative structure which is kind of what i had which was like if you don't do this you'll be punished and there's a balance Mm. for both obviously right but like but relating to oneself as like as like a burden versus Mm. relating to oneself as a blessing i think is what we're talking about and if you're raised to perceive yourself and your own life as a blessing then you may be more attentive to the things around you versus like who we all want to attend to our blessings and we all want to ignore our burdens so if we Mm. perceive ourselves as burdens what we naturally ignore ourselves and if we see a pet as a blessing which is people tend to we'll pay more attention to the pet than we will ourselves that's just me throwing rocks in the dark in the hopes that maybe i'll hit the bell no you did um you know it's (laughs) it's interesting that you kind of explain that because for me it really was both like Mm. i have such a high respect for my father he um he was in law enforcement for almost 30 years. Oh, interesting. And in my earliest time in my life, he was a sniper for the emergency response team, which is basically SWAT here in Canada. Okay. And and so I grew up he he's like a he's that very tactical dude, like doesn't always express emotion, but when he does, it's you know, it's very genuine and it's deep. And like he very much loves his family, but his role very much was like a provider and a protector and and it was by example to teach us to be strong but in some ways i was also taught that i was a burden in Mm. small ways as well Mm. because i think what he was really trying to trying to say 
but didn't probably know how to explain it in a way that could be received positively was don't be a burden to other people. So by pointing out so vigorously when I was being a burden versus kind of like positive affirmation, um, I spent a lot of time thinking that I was a burden and maybe that positive affirmation would have been better, but in so many other ways, I don't know because I think a lot of men, I think what happens with us is we inevitably become our fathers and then we have to shed the negative aspects that we've become as a result of that and then fit the pieces where our fathers may have been lacking in their own selves that they couldn't provide us with Mm -hmm. the lessons that they couldn't provide us with because their fathers couldn't do that for them. And so that just becomes, you know, and then it's your role to pass that on. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's your role to make sure that the next generation is going to be better off than the last. And they, and they did that, you know, like both of my parents came from extreme poverty and, and they made something of that. And they, you know, they, they both grew up in, in, in the hardest, um, native ghettos in Winnipeg. Like my mom is first nation. So she straight up grew up in, in, in the native ghettos. They had nothing. And my grand, my, my father was poor as well. And they, he came from nothing. And so they moved to BC and they, they got at the time, which were very, and still are, but were very reliable jobs. Like my, my, dad became a, uh, a decorated police officer and my mom became a nurse. And though that gave me the life that I had, that people that probably stayed in the ghettos in Winnipeg weren't able to provide their kids. And so they did the best with what they had. But like, with that being said, he's a very hard man in a lot of ways. Um, but at the same time, if we connect this to this story that I told, you know, did he, did did he lead lead me in, in a positive direction, I guess, in in the fact that if you talk about my instinct to save this woman versus running for help, I think that was just ingrained in me because of what I observed in my dad. Mm, awesome. So, you know, my dad, while he is very, you know, like just just a very very, very strong character you know, I saw an incredible amount of compassion from him as well. And so he was, he was that, that sheepdog type where he would stand up for the little guy. Like I, there's this one memory I'll never forget. And we were sitting in, in, um, this place getting hot wings and there was just this, the complete opposite of what a father should be sitting across from us. And he was just, uh, you know, he was he was verbally abusive to his wife, and he was verbally abusive to his kids, and the kids were clearly scared, and and and, and the wife was clearly crying. You know, it was one of those situations where you know they're just going to go home, and like this guy's going to like kick the shit out of his family or something like that. It was just one of those rough rough yeah. crowds of people, and you know, I watched my dad walk over calmly. He didn't really say more than a few words, but just the presence that he presented at this guy's table while we're in the middle of our dinner. And he's like, Hey, you're going to stop that right now. I'm having dinner with my family and you're not going to treat those people like that. And it was just the look in his face was like, you watched this other guy's front collapse. Mm. And it was for the betterment of, of what was going on. 
And so I think that sort of looking out for the little guy thing was just ingrained in me by what I observed. Um, but like I said before, you can take all of the best things about your father and apply them to your life. But you also have to fill the gaps for yourself too, because you need to become your own person. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of guys spend their whole lives trying to become their father and they ultimately end up unfulfilled as well. So there's, there's mul- multiple aspects to it, but you know, I'm grateful that I had the father that I had because, you know, if it was the opposite, who, who knows what it would have become, you know, like physical fitness was such a big part of my life. Like you didn't have the choice not to play sports. Mm-hmm. I played, um, Royal conservatory piano for like a decade. Oh, wow. Like when I was oh, there it is. That's the eight music, years music old, nine years old, 10 years old. Like I want to go play outside my friends. It's the middle of freaking summertime. And I got to sit here and like learn finger form for two and a half hours and play Beethoven and Mozart and all this other stuff. But you know, that created this structure that you're talking about that created the discipline. You know, I didn't get to just go out until whatever time at night that I wanted to, no matter where I was and not have my parents know. And, you know, I didn't get to drink in my parents' house, Mm. but all of these things that I thought were so terrible for my social life when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, you know, these are things I'm so grateful for. I wouldn't have explored music the way I did. Like I, I knew that I loved music. I just didn't want to express it like that. So I found something else, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know that I necessarily wanted to pursue rugby, but physical pursuits is one of the biggest parts of my life. Like I would never not be pursuing physical fitness. And so, yeah, it's just, I think that that structure is so important for men to have some sort of framework and some thing to look up to that they respect in order to at least head in a positive direction. Because if he was just not there or he just didn't have any structure or he, he isn't the man that he is, you know, I, I would have probably potentially taken a completely different direction. You know, Mm -hmm. there's still a little part of me that wants my father to be proud because I did something in a way that he maybe would have done. Right. You know, even as a grown man. So. Right. Yeah, no. And there's a both and here, you know, like in talking about our father's failings as, as we will have failings as fathers, it's not to, it's not to cast blame or anything like that. It's just to point out observable facts. Like, you know, for example, you know, I grew up, I didn't grow up with sports as a value. I grew up with academic achievement as a value. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that had its own, you know, that its own, its own consequences on a social life, but it got me into, you know, an amazing university that ended up being the foundation of all the success that would, that would come later. And there was, there were enormous sacrifices that I paid in order to do that, but it paid, mm-hmm. it paid off big time. And, you know, for, of course, all fathers have failings. Like there, there's no, there's no perfect father. And, and as sons, you know, I mentioned this word when we talked a little bit, a little bit about it earlier around redemption, like part of our responsibility as sons, as, as men who are uh, born into this era of dawning awareness, which I think it's hard to avoid that that's what's actually happening around us. Part of our responsibility is to redeem our fathers in that way, not mm-hmm. in their lives, but in the in what they've passed on to us that they didn't know because their grandfathers didn't know and their great great grand our great grandfathers didn't know, et cetera. Now it's mm-hmm. our responsibility. There wasn't a Jack Donovan for my dad. 
you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Or a Jordan Peterson, like, or for my grandfather either, you know, there wasn't, mm-hmm. there, there weren't men or pick any of them, you know, Ryan Mickler or Ivan Throne or, you know, Roman McClay, pick them, you know what I mean? Pick, yeah. Precisely. Yeah. There was no one or you or me for that matter. So there's no one around talking about these things. There's nowhere to really learn it from. It was just kind of whatever you picked up around you. And so now we have access to all of this information that's about what I'll broadly call spiritual development. It's it's mm-hmm. not in the way that I that people normally think about that, like meditation or whatever, but the development of the spirit or the development of the soul, we might call. It's mm-hmm. like we have this opportunity now that I don't think that any other era in human history has ever quite had. And so that gives us the opportunity as men to redeem our fathers, to create a new world for our sons that has never existed before. And that's the very message of the Renaissance of men. Like that is literally what we're doing is we're not, it's not the revolution of men that goes around and around and around. It's the Renaissance. It's a rebirth. It's a linear process. We're going to cross a threshold that you don't get unborn. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's how I see things. And that's what makes this moment really special. And, and, and it sounds like when you mentioned earlier about your podcast, that's why I love doing my podcast is I talk to men who have been transformed somehow so mm-hmm. that they can reflect their their transformation. It sounds like that's exactly what you're doing too and that you've lived because it's something that you've lived in your life. So this is incredibly exciting to me. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And you know, you you can't underestimate the power of exploring that because mm-hmm. maybe someone's going to listen to this podcast who's dealing with a mental health issue and he has a son and he has the potential to put himself in order to give that guy a chance so that it's not just another uh, uh, another <laughs> you know another what is the word there's a word that I'm looking for casualty another <sighs> ca- another casualty in your in your li- in the line of your family right where then they have to start over from scratch you know you've gotten this far like you said, your grandfather did what he could with what he had available to you. Your father did what he could with what he had available to you. And now you in the 21st century have everybody's father available to you to learn from. That's awesome. I'm pumping my fist. You can't see it. I'm pumping my fist. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. You know, you have, like like you said, like you, you just named five or six different men. I think most of them are actually dads. Who are doing incredible things in the world, and you can learn from every last one of those people. All you yeah. have to do is just follow people. You mm-hmm. don't need a mentor. You know, it's all available to you. So there really is no excuse anymore to become the best that you can be because we have so many examples of that. And it doesn't matter necessarily what type of man you are. There is a there is a man for everyone mm-hmm. that is that is in a that is at the highest level that their message would resonate with you, no matter what you are doing. Maybe for me, it's Jack. And for you, it's Jack or Jordan Peterson. But maybe for another guy, it's Aubrey Marcus. Or maybe for another guy, it's Ryan Mickler. Whoever it's going to be that's going to lead you to the highest possible good. There's so much available to you. So you just have to explore that and seek it out. Like, a lot of people just need to get on the path and the path takes you from there. Once you go down that rabbit hole, personal development is so addicting once you actually start to see progress. Yep. 
when you take something from a piece of literature that you read and actually try to apply it to your life with 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 a hundred percent of your effort and then you see the result that they said would happen in that book it's like oh my god i've been shooting in the dark my entire life all i had to do was actually do the work yep yeah so but it's just it's so positive getting to talk to guys like you and 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 learn from other people who have a different perspective than me and a different background and just share this this love for life really and just just and, and you it is an expression of love i think when you yeah. do your best and you try to show up as your best and you really do apply yourself because that just ripples out into the rest of the world in ways that you can't even you you may never know you may not be able to explain it but you actually may never know how far down the line the effect that you had with your words on this podcast goes yeah. you know it may be generations one person might listen to this and the next five generations may benefit from that so that's kind of what i have to say about that it's just it's powerful being able to make these connections so i love it man cuz you're 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 playing my tune for lack of a better term because that's like i have a section on my website um the library where i write mm. down all it's a, a large and growing list of all the books of all the as you say fathers and many of them are fathers who have written down their thoughts about what it means to be a good man and what it means to be good at being a man and mm. this this list just, i can't even read them all it just keeps getting <laughs> longer and longer and longer but the idea is that look go to that page and you will see all the men that are pouring their thoughts out in print you know to to understand what it means to be a man this has never happened before in in human history mm-hmm. and that there is something for you to draw from and it's like yeah maybe like i lo- happen to love jordan peterson because i love the way i get i love the way that his mind works i love watching his mind works but he's not the end of the line like you got to take some jordan peterson and mix it with some jack donovan and then mm-hmm. ryan mickler and then you know roman mcclay's sanction and then a little bit of iron john for robert bly and then there's your own life experience that you get to mm-hmm. you know that's the that's the really is the cake of all of it and then you get to do this self and tanner guzzi as we're you know to bring him back in which you know deal with the aesthetics of the external world this is the self-creation process of what it means to be a man and it's so exciting it's mm-hmm. so exciting there's never been a time like this in human history before and that's why i'm so thrilled to be doing what i'm doing and to be the man that i am doing it because like i'm looking out over the scope of history and being like men have never asked these questions before to the degree that we're all asking them and there have mm-hmm. never been this many answers before and there's never been as much prosperity and and leisure for better or worse and connection to create this feeling of critical mass where these conversations are happening all the mm-hmm. time where you and I are both going to walk away change I'm already walking away changed from this conversation and Absolutely. the people and I'm sure that you know at least one person will probably be as well and like this is this is the critical mass that we're achieving right now and for everything that's going nuts around the world that we can you know obviously talk about but I don't want to you know is for all of that there's beauty happening and you're right to use that word and i know that men don't like that word because like, you're right they do associate with a film it's like no beauty beauty is transcendent and i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not afraid to use that word even though i've gotten don't don't use that word to describe me it's like you're a beautiful man it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, sorry but yeah no but, absolutely yeah. yeah it's and you know the, the thing that you're kind of touching on right now too which i think is important to remember for people that are actually listening you know maybe <laughs> we're at a different point in our path than than someone else listening might be but what you True. also have to remember is that at least to me 
experiential knowledge is true knowledge. It doesn't matter what you're able to regurgitate that someone else said. Yeah. Your personal experience and how you apply those lessons to your own life is new knowledge. You're a new person mm. that's, that is uncovering a brand new way of looking at these problems in a completely unique way that could be shared also mm -hmm. to help other people. You know, like you were saying, we've got this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, all these people to learn from. Anybody listening to this is that guy. That's new knowledge that you're gaining by, by pursuing this path. Because you're gonna you're gonna learn not only so much about the world and other people by educating yourself, but of your own unique nature that you could share with someone else ten thousand miles away. That might be that one guy who's actually like you, mm -hmm. and you might be the guy if you really engage in the self creation process. Maybe you start a podcast and you discover that you like, you know, Bronson, like you and I have that we discover ourselves through conversation and that, you know, as we started out the conversation talking about how we've both been changed by doing this. And maybe you become the guy who does the podcast and you discover your voice, meaning I'm meaning now the listener. And maybe then you write a book and then maybe you become the next Ryan Mickler where he's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on to doing whatever he's going to do next. If he's ever going to do anything, maybe not necessarily him, but you know, mm -hmm. that you, that you contribute the next voice to this. And that's what this is all about. You know, that's what that's what every artistic movement in history has been about. You go and you look at the paintings of the Renaissance, for example, and every single artist or not even the not even the paintings, even sculptors and architects and musicians, like they all contributed their own little unique voice to this thing that shifted all of Western human history, all of human history, period. It's like mm -hmm. men, that's the exciting part is you get to participate in a creative conversation about what it means to be a man and what it will look like for me is different from what it'll look like for Jack Donovan and Tanner Guzzi and for, you know, Bronson Lee Norton and all these things it'll look different for but we all get to be that and estes tone and all these different names that we're mm -hmm. invoking that we get that's the most exciting thing is we get to be almost in a way living works of art you know that's maybe a bit too heady in some ways you know because mm -hmm. there's this performance art things like no no but like i've consciously cultivated myself and my personality and my life in, a, in an artistic and intentional way you mm -hmm. know and and to live that way there's no there's no substitute for it. it's like well I look at this choice that I'm going to make and like, what choice would I make if I really cared about myself? There's that one. But then there's what choice makes me a more beautiful human being. Once you begin mm -hmm. to think that way, the possibilities become endless for, like you say, the ripples to go outward into the world. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think you just encompassed that perfectly. And um, people just, you, you need to take a leap of faith, like mm. believe in your own potential. You know, it's, it's, it's the most powerful thing that you can do for yourself. You know, it's what has allowed me to do all of the things that I've been able to accomplish in a short amount of time and will continue to pursue to a higher level. And no matter where you are in the journey, you know, and the same that you've done well with your podcast, it's, it's blowing up very quickly. Mm. Um, it's just, you know, like we said earlier, like what story do you want to tell? And I think if people can keep that in perspective and think about that as they're writing it, you know, it can be whatever you, whatever you want, but don't leave it up to circumstance. Don't leave it up to some external factor to write it for you. Cause it's going to be some 
shitty book that gets kicked around in the mud because nobody's caring for it. Right. So, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you have to, and I think you as a man or as a human being, but we're talking to men primarily, you as a man get to do that. Like, let me, let me make sure to make you as a man get to decide what your life story is. You get to decide. Mm -hmm. I hereby give you permission to decide what your life story is. And sometimes I needed, and the reason why I can say that is because I needed someone to say that to me. I was mm-hmm. living a pretty average life story until I literally, I literally went out to um, to Burning Man, and I, I've related the story in other podcasts. This is this was the beginning of the process of me becoming Christian because I found this Christian missionary group, this Christian ministry group that had been going to Burning Man for twelve years and was doing healing encounters. And you know, mm-hmm. two or three hours into this incredible healing encounter with these amazing people, uh, you know, Barb and Katie and GI, who were just radiating love at me, I got to this point where it's like you know, I really, I really want to go traveling. Like, is it okay if I can do that? Can I do that? Like mm-hmm. here I am, I was a grown man in my thirties asking, you know, asking uh, three ad- other adults for permission to live my own life, but mm-hmm. I still needed to hear it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, as much as I might judge myself for like, wow, how silly is this? I still heard it and I still, and I still took that in and I still, then I went and did it. And sometimes people need to hear that they have, no matter what anyone or anything has ever told them about their life, you get the choice and the freedom to decide if you, as long as you're acting with integrity without the, without the intention to hurt anybody. And as long as you maintain what are your moral obligations. So for example, sometimes men will say, well, look, I have, you know, I want to make a change, but I have kids. It's like, well, you don't, you know, the notion of making a change, you know, that doesn't mean that, uh, that you should, not care for your children. They are your moral obligation. You must mm-hmm. make a change in the context of that moral obligation to your kids and your family and your wife. But you still have to make a change and you still have you to still have that. a moral obligation to yourself. Yes. Well said. And if you want if you want to be the best version of yourself to your kids, you also have to care about your own wants and needs because like there is nothing worse than a dad who blames all of the things that he never accomplished in his life on his children. Mm. You know, you need to fulfill those goals. And then you're an inspiration to those kids. You know, you're going to show them what's possible, not explain to them, you know, through passive aggressive comments and, and behavior and just all this other stuff that they were the mistake that kept you from your dreams. Like you're again, the only person who is keeping you from your dreams. And like, there are people with children who travel. There are people with children who want to run fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think those people are making that excuse. No. And, and, uh, and for a child, for children to see their father, you know, maybe they're spending a bit less time than they would otherwise be, but for the father, so for example, let's just construct a fantasy scenario. You go to work and you come home at the end of the night and you have two hours before you have to go to bed. And mm-hmm. previously you would have spent a couple hours with your kids, maybe half-heartedly paying attention, thinking about the thing that you should be doing, whether that be writing or working out, pick it, right? So you so the calculation would be rational for someone to make the calculation. But if I spend an hour a night doing the thing, whatever the thing is, that's less time I spend with my kids. I could hear I could hear a man realistically saying that, but mm-hmm. the the truth is that if you spend that one hour with your kids and you spend one hour doing the thing, 
your kids will see a far more joyous version of you that will make such a greater difference in their lives that they're not counting the hours. It's not a it's not a clock that they're punching. Mm-hmm. They're looking for quality of interaction with their with their parents in general, but in their father, like if you're lit up and you're fulfilled doing the thing, everyone around you, not just your kids, but your spouse and your workplace will benefit if you just take that time for yourself. And again, you know, why are people afraid of taking that leap? I mean, that we can go into that as well, but you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the linear calculation is like, well, I'm spending less time with X. Well, maybe you need to spend less time with, with X and spend more time with yourself. And maybe that would benefit you. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's like you're saying, it's like, how am I showing up in these relationships? It could be with your kids. It could be with a partner, you know, like, I don't know a relationship that's healthy where you guys spend all of your time together and you're just so pleasant every moment that you're together because you haven't so interacted with another person for, you know, four months. Right. I mean, there is a reason that since coronavirus started that people are breaking up. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's because people aren't, aren't getting that time to themselves to cultivate positivity and peace and, and, um, and fill themselves with all of the things that, that, you know, stoke their inner fire or whatever that, that feel, fill their spirit with, with excitement and joy. And then they bring that to the table, right? Like you have to fill the tank with something, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just people are running, so many people are running on fumes. And I think that's why they do, they, they, they make those choices and, and think that way. And ultimately, like you were saying, like, also I'm not a father, but I've been a child and I can imagine what it would be like to be a kid and have your parents around hovering over you all of the time. Like that couldn't possibly develop any kind of independence. I'm sure it would create codependence. And especially if you're miserable to be around all the time, all you're doing is teaching that kid poor coping skills when it comes to stressful situations. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we we all need even the best relationships, the people need space from each other. Parents need space. We're human beings. You know, we're not, mm-hmm. we're not designed to be, we're not bees. You know what I mean? We, we, we require a certain amount of physical, mental, and emotional and psychic space just to be, you know, and, and different people need different amounts for sure. But you can't be on top of each other all the time in a relationship or you smother it. You smother the mm-hmm. flame of relation, whatever the relationship is. You know, best friends don't hang out every day. They get bored with each other. It's like, okay, I'm going to need to not see you for a while or not need to talk, mm-hmm. not chat every day, you know. You also uh, don't necessarily want to be defined by that relationship. Hmm. Like how many people do you know that are defined by their partnership? And anytime they show up, it's just us. And without that relationship, they aren't much of anything. Right. Well, I mean, that could be, that could be apparent too. Like I'm only defined by fatherhood. Like fatherhood is, is an amazing thing. Um, you know, it's a, it's one of the most important things somebody could do. Like you are creating life and perpetuating life, but Mm -hmm. you know, who is my father? You know, he can't just be my father. Right. You know, yeah, that can't be, you can't take that on as your identity. It's a, it's a component of what you do, a, a significant component, like not to minimize it, but mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I need my, my parents or my father, we all do to have interests other than me because 
I need my own space to, you know, grow and succeed mm-hmm. and fail and recover like in private. You know, there is mm-hmm. some there is some component of of privacy that's very essential. It's like we learn to succeed by failing first in private to the extent that we can. Like no one's writing their first poem and hopefully not reading in front of a crowd that that could be quite difficult. You write in your journal for years, most people before they actually start publishing something because it gives you the chance to fail in private and for a child or for a friend or for a relationship. Like I used to struggle with the, I got in shape last year, but I used to struggle getting in shape in relationships. And I tried for many years mm-hmm. because I didn't want to fail in front of my partner. And of course I did, but you know, I didn't want to be, you know, during to be seen failing in my process of attempting, you know, mm-hmm. because, because I just felt like I needed that sense of privacy. It was my own limitation. Cause ultimately like when it comes to fitness, you really do just have to do it. Nonetheless, mm-hmm. it was something that I lived through, but people do need that privacy. And my girlfriend, she wanted to learn how to like a, like to hula hoop, you know, there's this hula hoop kind of dancing mm-hmm. that women do. And so she wanted to learn how to do that. And she was like, don't come downstairs while I'm doing it. It's like, don't worry, I won't. Cause I knew that she wanted to have the freedom to try it and, and fail mm-hmm. if she needed to, you know? And so it's that same kind of thing that we need space from each other in order to be able to grow rather than to be constrained by each other. No, ab- absolutely. Um, and it's kind of funny because we, we need, we need both of those things. Like it, it's, it is that I, I think some people take that too far in that direction and then they don't try anything. And then other right. people, you, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like with mm-hmm. that, because especially with, let's say you didn't start your podcast because you were so so scared and so precious about it that you didn't want to put out something that had mistakes or you didn't want to put out your first album, you know, because it, it was, it was never going to be perfect because I mean, what musician like loves every piece of work that they've ever put out. But, um, you know, it's like, it, it, it is finding that, finding that balance, I guess, of being okay with where you're at, but, you know, obviously people also want to show up to the best of their ability when they have to interact with other people. Like sometimes that anxiety being watched just makes you bad. Like, mm-hmm. so I fully, I fully get what you're saying there, but um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. These, these dynamics that we have, but I mean, like with my father, for example, like his biggest passion is the outdoors and that was his thing. I got to share that with him, mm-hmm. but if he didn't fulfill that need for himself to go out in the woods and just walk for miles and climb mountains and, and, you know, play with fire and build fires and camp and all these other things, you know, like I would have missed out on that too. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have seen the passion that he had for nature and the outdoors that, that got me interested in all of that. And now that that's another aspect of my life that's so important to me too. And like in many ways, I've taken on these different aspects of my father and just molded them into my own identity as well. But like we do take a lot from a parent. So if your only identity is your parent, you know, your your kids at first, their only world really to explore is the one that you provide them with. Mm-hmm. So how how small do you want to make that world? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just, just as a quick aside, I'll cut this out. I'm, I'm running a little bit out of time. I got like ten or fifteen minutes left, right? So, just I, a- I'm also running out of time. I think my, my, my partner is bothering me <laughs> with text messages because okay. she has work to do. Okay. Um, 
But I mean, I think that's pretty good length. I mean, we almost pushed three hours there. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I want to ask you one more question, just because yeah. it just came up, and and in that there were a couple different topics that I wanted to take. You mentioned a lot of the stuff uh, in 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 one of your Instagram posts about the various things that you did around your trauma, and I wanted to get to that, but we were not going to have time. So I mm-hmm. would I would like to ask if if maybe we could either do another conversation about it or if you would do an episode on your podcast where you sort of go into the things that you've done because the the road from the point a to point b from from being that man who ran in the door to um to help that woman you know in the exam in the anxiety experience and the man you are now you know you went through a, an intense process of inner work like for example i've done emdr and i know emdr mm-hmm. is a very intense process and I, I you listed a number of others on that instagram post as well and i think it would benefit men to hear about that so mm-hmm. i would love it if you, either you and i could talk about it or if you would like to do it on your podcast i think men would benefit from he- hearing about the roads of inner transformation so maybe we can set that up or maybe that's an idea for you Absolutely. Like we, we could set it up as kind of like finishing off and it's like, and then, and they said is like, we will, we have plans to do a part two of this podcast and dive a little bit deeper into some of like the solutions and strategies. I would love that. I would love that. We'll, yeah. call, we'll call it finishing move. So that so cause, sounds good. Cause the other thing, and just, to, you know, for just a few minutes, I want to hear you talk about bow hunting cause I know nothing about it sure. and, you, and you invoke the outdoors. So just go into that a little bit because it's such a strong theme of everything you do. And then we'll wrap it up from there. Perfect. Yeah. Sounds good. So just like, so just like, tell me about bow hunting. It's the one thing I've, <laughs> I have tell, I know nothing about it, but it, it seems to be a thing that, that many men are into. So um, yeah, open I mean, book. I think it's, um, I originally got interested in, in bow hunting, uh, after listening to Cameron Haynes on the Joe Rogan podcast yeah, he's awesome. and just listening to them talk about bow hunting and archery and, and just how, how rich and primal that experience is to just be in the wild with these animals and, um, and the pursuit of bow hunting itself and, and the art of archery is, is so difficult in and of its own, um, that like this just sounded like exactly like something that would be up my alley to Mm. pursue. And I was also interested in hunting because I come from a line of hunters being that my mother's side is first nations. They are all, just incredible hunters. And so I also wanted to kind of get in touch with my roots as well, being that I felt it was a responsibility to know how to do that. And just the meat is, I mean, free range organic meat. It's like straight off of, off of the mountain is like, it doesn't get, get more nutrition, nutritious than that. And, and, um, so I, I really just started with the archery and with the intention of, uh, being ready for bow hunting last fall. And so once I picked up a bow for the first time, I was just, it was, I've, I've never dove so hard into something in my entire life. Like Mm. really just like head first down the rabbit hole. There's just so much to it. And, um, it's not just as, as gear goes and, but like the form itself is so nuanced and it's really something that you can never fully master which is kind of what i love about it because you're always in this pursuit of you know learning more about your equipment learning more about your form being more in tune with your body and it really is archery itself is really just this it's like a meditation and a sport and an art form and a martial art all just wrapped up into this one this one thing 
and then incorporating that into actually setting out on a hunt is like you were saying there are there are forms of spirituality that are not as described as people describe them mm-hmm. like there is there is no more rich experience than the first time that you walk through the woods with a bow and arrow as your ancestors did thousands and thousands and thousands of times over knowing that in that moment you don't have a rifle you're on your own and you are both predator and prey in that moment mm. and and you're you're so intentional because you realize okay now i'm i have a go- i have a new goal here and so immediately it's like the instinct is to just start walking quietly in the forest and just even that act of walking quietly and intentionally in the forest in the early morning is it's like for the first time i felt like I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. Mm. And I can't explain it any better than that. It was just a a knowing and a feeling. And so I just, I fell in love with it. And, and it's really just, that's, that's been only about, it's actually been less than a year since I took up archery. I took it up super hardcore in the summertime and I got to be fairly good shot just with some dedication through the summer. And then, uh, Spring season starts April 1st. So I'm going to be going out for my first bear hunt probably in the next two weeks. And um, I'll be going out for black bear uh, here in BC. And so, yeah, it's just every, everything about it, like being on top of the fact that I'm, I'm just such a, I have such a love for the outdoors and nature and fitness and, and just all these other things. It just, it basically wrapped up everything that I'm interested into this one art form. And so that was really, it really is just everything about it. And and when you put all of those things into, when you combine all of those aspects of it, I just, I, I can't say any, any more about it than to just do it. Mm. You know, like if you have an interest in archery, take it up. Like there's, you're never going to have a bad time shooting a bow, you know? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's all. I mean, I know that's something that Ryan Mickler was into and as jujitsu now, I think I remember he was into archery and I've, it's something that I've seen kind of spreading and I've, I've, I've listened to a bit of, of Cameron Haynes. I've listened to Joe Rogan talk about it as well. And, but you articulated it so beautifully, like that it's, that's a, a martial form of spirituality. And we like, I, that really landed for me. I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it is just like such a primal feeling, you know? There really, it is just hunting in general, but I think there's something different about hunting with a bow and arrow. You know, the likelihood of your success is much lower. It's right. so dependent on um, shot placement. Like you can't just, you know, shoot a deer in the head from 500 yards and watch it go down. Like you have to get in to 40 yards or under and place a perfect shot through the heart of both of the lungs in order to make an ethical kill with a sharp stick you know it's like it doesn't it doesn't get any more primitive than that other than traditional archery which i shoot a compound bow so it's a little bit more mechanical and a bit more accurate and it has a sight but um just even then like bow hunting is hard but trad bow hunting is is like the pinnacle of that and so it's kind of like there's rifle hunting and the next step in i guess 
that fulfillment, I guess, is increasing the difficulty, right? So you increase the difficulty if you were to dive into bow hunting, which is is hard. And then, like, I guess the final form would would be if you wanted to be a trad bow hunter, because that is straight up just like primitive hunting, and it's very hard to even be an accurate shot with a traditional bow. But um, just yeah, all of it, the the archery, the hunting, all of it is just it's very much like a spiritual experience for me, and it is so meditative. Like I'm, I'm naturally fairly good at sitting and meditating, but it's like, I'm such an active guy. Like I can't do that for more than maybe like 25, 30 minutes. When you're shooting a bow, it's like your entire body and mind are focused on one task. And in order to do that perfectly and execute a shot perfectly, all of those things need to be in tune and aligned at once in that one present moment when you release. And so, mm. and, and, and it's instant proof when it hits the target, if you were fully present in that moment, because even if it's off by an inch, that means you did something in that shot process that, that didn't land directly on the X. Mm-hmm. So and that just gives you even more motivation to to work towards those perfect X's. Um, and so, yeah, it, it really is just become a really meaningful part of my life. And I look forward to spending time in the woods. Um, whether I take something home or not, it doesn't matter. It's it's not necessarily wasted time. I would like to bring home meat and um, and 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 harvest animals. But a big part of hunting, you know, is just it's, it's that spending that time in the wild, Mm -hmm. you know, it is all of that time looking and glassing and looking out on and appreciating the landscape and being close to nature and animals. And, um, you know, like, like I love wildlife and it's also creating a, uh, an, an authentic relationship with nature because it is like this, this, paradigm shift where okay like i love animals and i want to be close to these animals and observe their beauty but i also want to eat them (laughs) and we're we're so separated from that with our food it's also about like getting that connection with your food again and and the cycle of life um and appreciating life and appreciating like the and honoring the kill i guess when you're to look at an animal and be like, you know, this was a valiant pursuit and I conquer it and I deserve this meat and I respect this animal. So by honing my skills and being the best archer and best hunter that you can, you honor the animal and the food. And it's like, it isn't this like savagery that people talk about where they just want to put like heads all over their wall. Um, It's so much more to me than that. So that's really the best I can do to, to encompass that. But you really just got to try it for yourself to know what I'm talking about. Not, I'm not the only guy that talks so philosophically about archery. Like sure. I feel like anybody who takes this up knows exactly what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. I mean, that's one of the really, really cool things about being a man who gets super into something is it's super easy to get philosophical about it. And that's the fun of it. Like I could get philosophical about DJing because I wasn't one of those, <laughs> I wasn't one of those like Avicii kind of DJs. Like I was a, I was really, I was really particular about the music that I played and really curated mm-hmm. my sound. And I love talking for hours about the philosophy of it. I could very, I could find very few people who wanted to, but I love doing mm-hmm. it. And I, that's one of the best parts about really getting into an activity it doesn't matter what it is painting podcasting archery weightlifting is the philosophy of it just lends this mm-hmm. whole other this whole other dimension to it kind of like 
like it's the reality, it's the self-creation process, how you know you're engaging in the self-creation. It's process. also that heaviness. Yeah. You know? It's that heaviness <laughs> that we talked about. Like <laughs> I'm heavy as fuck when it comes to going out into the woods and and just walking. Like that just brings out so much of my my internal, you know cosmic energy yeah you know it's the, it brings that out and like like same thing like i can hear just how excited you are to talk about about djing what you've what you've learned through that that process and all of that you know i, I think that's kind of something men do in general yeah like we find something we like and then we learn everything about it until yep. we learn everything about it and then we move on to the next thing exactly exactly so but i mean that's that's not a bad way to be, man. Like you can be really good or pretty good at a lot of different things if you take that approach to life. So that's really what I try to strive for. Like I've never necessarily really been specialized uh, in anything, but I've really enjoyed many different things by allowing myself time and space to explore different mm -hmm. aspects of myself. So, man. I know that uh, we're running out of time, but I, you know, I'm super lit up by this conversation. I can tell you are too. And I'm, I'm, I just have a oh, feeling. Yeah. yeah fired I mean, like, right up. Fired right up. They have all the guys listening. I hope they're super fired up as well. And I love how we've essentially just been, this, been saying the same thing over and over again. In a but, thousand different ways. The, and it doesn't get boring to me. It doesn't get boring <laughs> at all. Well, this is, this is really, this has probably been my favorite conversation of all the podcasts I've done. This is the oh, one man. where I lit up the most. Was like, this is, these are the topics that are most, most sacred to me and the most important to me as a man. So thank you for helping create this with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, I, I appreciate you having me on so much. I think this has been uh, an awesome conversation. I'm just pumped that we actually got to connect and and really have a, a genuine conversation. And I really hope that we can do this again. And um, people don't know this yet, but I'm definitely going to be having Will on my podcast. So I hope you awesome. guys are also going to look out for that uh, because I think we'll be doing a little bit more of this cross collaboration in in the future. So. I'd love that. That would actually be a great time to talk about the the the, the trauma the trauma healing that we mentioned. Absolutely, yeah. I would I would love to just provide more value to people and explore uh, through conversation with you and and just see how we can help as many uh, as many people as possible. A hundred percent in. Hundred percent. So, do you have anything you'd like to say in closing to the listeners today? Um, I think I just want to again, finish on that, that note and that mantra that we've really just been repeating over and over and over and over again, and hope that it lands, um, that, you know, your future is you, in order to manifest the future that you want, first, you really have to see that and envision that. And maybe you can see that in other people and rise to their level. And once you rise to their level, you find another ideal to shoot for. Um, but, you know, through my own experiences, I've learned that you don't have to stay in hell. Mm. You know, everyone has the opportunity to make their lives better and make them what they want to be as long as they're willing to be humble and look at the, their shortcomings and the areas of their life that are not serving them anymore. And, um, and I really just encourage people to become all that they could be, no matter what that is, but reach your personal highest potential. Um, and uh, I just want to say thanks to you, Will, for having me on, letting me share my message. And um, yeah, just 
thank you. I'm so grateful to be able to have these conversations. Thank you, Bronson. This has been great. And where can where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm probably most active on Instagram. So you can follow me at, at Bronson Lee Norton uh, on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter as well. It's a little bit more of a dumping ground for my thoughts, but it's at Barbaric Wisdom on Twitter. Um, and you can check out my YouTube channel just under my first name, Bronson Lee Norton, where a lot of the podcasts are. But um, yeah, if you follow those accounts and uh, you like you like what you're hearing, um, there's going to be a lot more of that coming in the future. And I have a few other projects. I'm also working on um, a new apparel company for athletes and outdoorsmen nice. uh, called Moss and Blood, and that will be out pretty soon. So I would say that's the next thing to kind of watch out for. So That's great. I'll definitely keep an eye out for that. That's a great name. Thank you very much. All right. Have a good one, man. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.